Hi, I'm Adrian Potter. Welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. For most of my life, I've been curious about why people do the things they do, especially people that create for a living. In these episodes, I'm going to talk to people that design and make the most amazing things. I'm going to ask them how and why they do the things they do. Please join me on this adventure into a creative life. Today, my guest is Amy Duncan, tattooist extraordinaire. Amazing artist to boot. Thanks heaps for listening. I really appreciate it. A big thanks to all of you out there who've been sharing this show with your friends and colleagues on your social sites. That support really helps. Please keep doing that. Get in touch with me via make at designermakerrevolution.com. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. On with the show. Hi, Adrian. How are you going, Amy? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, that's all right. Thanks for asking me to do it. Yeah, look, awesome. You've had a read of the questions I'm going to ask. I did. Yeah. Yes. Some of them I feel more equipped to answer than others, actually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I figure you'll pick the best answers to put in the podcast. Yeah. Generally, I just edit out the silences. Yep. You okay mm. with that? Yeah. All my favourite podcasts are very um, unedited. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Me too. Who do you listen mm. to normally? I I listen to a bit of all kinds of stuff. I tend to like particular guests, so I'll listen to podcasts and have those guests on them. But I like podcasts like Joe Rogan that are just really long form, unedited kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, me too. Um, I love Joe Rogan. Yeah. yeah. So I went on a, a serious bent listening to Jordan Peterson for a long time. Have you, have you heard? <laughs> I know Jordan <laughs> Peterson really well. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, know him personally, so, obviously. No, no, no. Yeah, I listened to God knows how many hours of him. I've listened to most of his podcasts at this point, I think. Yeah. I've probably dropped off a little bit recently because I think I've just burnt out on his, like, I think I've just got to the point where nothing he says is new anymore. Jordan Peterson gets heaps of flack. Oh, fuck yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the flack he gets. What do you yeah. reckon of that? Like, what's your take on that? I think... He says a lot of things that a lot of people know are very true and that they're uncomfortable with. And those people, if they're not... Some people respond to that in a way that is humble and and honest and they go, wow, this guy's saying things that make me feel uncomfortable and that's probably probably on me and I need to think about why it makes me uncomfortable. And other people just fight it. (laughs) You know, they just Mm. go nuts. I'm going to cling to my beliefs and I'm not going to have a bar of it. Mm. So... That's my take on it. I mean, I, I've never, I've, for a while I kept up closely with all of the critiques and the hit pieces and all that stuff. And none of them were valid, you know? There are obviously criticisms of him that are valid, for sure, like there are of anybody. Mm. But it's possible to write a nice article about someone and criticize them at the same time without it being a hit piece, you know? But the people who are really out to take him down, none of them were admirable people with admirable goals. You know what I mean? It was like, they were people who were bitter and resentful and looking for scapegoat, looking to turn him into the enemy because he shone a, a light on things that maybe inadequacies inadequacies that they had or you know beliefs that they held or whatever that 
he pointed out some problems with and they didn't like it. Yeah. But I never once read strong, serious critique of him that was that was valid. You know, I've read plenty of respectable people who are like, you know, we have issues with these things he says and these ideas. That he, plenty of decent, respectable people have things to say, but it's you don't need to try and ruin someone's life to criticise their ideas. You know, not unless they're so forthright like Jordan Peterson is. What was that? Well, Jordan Peterson is so forthright, isn't he? He's like. He knows. He absolutely knows. There's no prevarication or anything like that. And if he's saying something you don't like, you're going to get upset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it is like there are things he says that are confronting and you go, fuck, you know. But, um, yeah, it's like if you really, if you're interested in being a better person, you'll realise that that's because he knows a thing or two. Yeah. And you've got to step up to it. Yeah. Because that's the thing, yeah. I mean, he says things I disagree with, but not for the most part. There's there's not a hell of a lot I disagree with him on, and I've listened to a lot of his opinions that he's got, you know what I mean? And most of them, especially the ones on the big stuff, right? Like, he knows about the big stuff. Yeah. The serious stuff. He's he's on the ball with that, you know? Mm. The only opinions I've heard of his that I really disagree with are, are pretty insignificant compared to the bulk of what he talks about. Yeah, did I that? Yeah. yeah. What does Sean think? Yeah, look, Sean doesn't love him as much as I do, but he certainly agrees with, uh, you know, a lot of what he says, for sure. He just doesn't have the same interest in listening to him. But, um, mm. yeah, we both got into him for a little bit. Sean originally got into his, his Maps of Meaning lectures. He liked those when he first heard them. And, yeah, but he, um, when he got really popular, he kind of burnt out on it a bit, especially because I was listening to all of it. And so he was just like, oh, yeah, he's sick of hearing about it, you know? Pardon me. <laughs> My cat... Oh. She's <laughs> I was obsessed. What was fucking glasses of fucking water. She's fucking spilled the fucking glass all over the table. Oh no! Oops. That's you hilarious. Bloody maniac! It was a full glass of water, like everywhere. Oh, no. oh, my iPad and everything. God damn it! Oh, no, really? Okay. Yeah. You you better go clean that up then. Oh wait. No, no, it's goodness. No. Waters and iPads don't mix at all. No, they don't. <laughs> Let's see how weird is this. Oh no, it's all right. It's just the cover. Maybe I've got a cover on it. As well. She's mental, that cat. <laughs> Damn, you got you've got cats, haven't you? Do they bloody? Drink no, milk? not anymore. Don't you? We did, we did. Yeah, no, they both. Well, they both died. One this year, one last year. They were fifteen. Yeah. yeah so we had them a long time. So no, no cats. We've got chickens now. Have you? Yeah. Do you name your chickens? What was that? Do you name them? Have you have they got names? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, well Miles names them. <laughs> so yes, we have a silky, a silky called Galaxy. She's one of those Galaxy. he calls her the puffy. One of those real fluffy ones. Yeah, I know. They kinda they kinda like cats, yeah. Yeah. And then um so that one gets lots of cuddles. He he brings her in every day and gives her a little cuddle and makes everybody pet her. <laughs> <So cute. laughs> Is she a good lad? Yeah, she is actually. The eggs are tiny, but yeah, um, they are, but every ones. day, yeah, yeah, every day it. at the moment, they're good, good Audrey size eggs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we've got that one, and we've got two others that haven't started laying yet. Ginger and Lucy, we got them as chicks, so they're they're still not quite at point of lay. They should be soon. Yeah, yeah. Have you got foxes around so, um, you? Yeah, but we just have to make sure that they're locked up at night and 
I've never seen one. I've never seen no, one. But um, you don't see them until yeah. they've attacked all your chickens, and you just end up with feathers and wings and yeah, I've heard. Over there. They're nasty. I've heard, has that happened to you? Has it? It totally has a couple of times. Oh. Mm. But was it like were they all locked up, or was it because you forgot to lock them away or something? Locked up and high fences. Doesn't matter. Really? Yep. How yep. do they get in? Over the top. But how? Oh, see, we've got a coop with a roof, a wooden roof. Yeah, I totally think that's a so, great idea. I would, I would have, yeah. I'd have concrete floors and yeah, so well, the, and the wild birds can't get in either because wild birds are nasty when the mites get into them. Yes, yeah, we we got tons of birds around here, but mm. um, they've never gotten into the coop. It's quite a small coop. It's almost like an oversized rabbit hutch. You know, it's really not yeah. not very big. And so we have an no, they free range in our garden, but then at night time mm. they're locked up in a little coop, and it's got a full wooden wooden roof and it's got wire that's too thick for foxes to chew through because mm. apparently they can chew through wire and then it's also got wire underneath it in the dirt that's it. That's so it. they can't burrow yeah and the rats mm. keeps the I rats did lots of reading because I wasn't really interested in the kids coming home to find their pets <laughs> flaws and, you know <laughs> I'm not so concerned for myself but like if Miles no. found Galaxy the silky yeah. headless in the garden he'd be pretty gutted he'd be gutted yeah how old's Miles mm. he's five so he's at school yeah, yeah, that finish prep. So it'll go yeah. well for you. Oh, so well. Yeah, yeah. He's a star student. He's like, mm. oh my god, he's like the little fucking Poindexter in the classroom, man. He's, <laughs> he is. He's amazing. He's like, apparently, it's a real tough class as well, like badly behaved class. And he's like the star student. Yeah, Bloody he's good. head of his class with his reading and. Yeah, he's all like well behaved and follows instructions. And never mm. had his name on the board for being naughty and talking in class. And yeah, he's just wait till he's sixteen. She's amazing, Amy. Oh my god, tell me about it because I was sixteen once. <laughs> and uh, did you enjoy that experience? My parents barely survived it. I did. Did you? Well, actually, you know, I loved being sixteen. I didn't like being fifteen. Yeah, fifteen right. was a rough year. Yeah. Yeah, me and my mum used to actually have physical fights. You're joking. Around that age. No. No. Who At won? one point. Uh, I think she did, actually. Is yeah, that a good thing? Was, I think that's a good she thing. She broke a terracotta pop one over my head. <sighs> yeah, no, we used to, it used to get nasty. Oh, God. Yeah. Damn. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I kind of won in the end because I just ran away from home and then it fucking she flipped, flipped out, you know. Yeah, don't ever come back. Well, there was a bit of that, but then I don't think she expected it to actually happen, you know? And I yeah. just went and lived with a friend. I was like, oh, it's fine, I don't need to live here, and this sucks. I'll yeah, yeah <laughs> probably you needed a bit of a break from each other just by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. They they didn't cope very well with having a teenager that wasn't obedient, because my brother was. My older brother was very obedient, mm. and um, they just didn't cope with the fact that I had my own opinions about things, and yeah. That was when I got my first tattoo, incidentally. <laughs> yeah, go on, tell us about that story. <laughs> okay. So I start, oh, so I was a bit of a naughty student. Honestly, it was one of those things. I know it's, it's, this is a more flattering explanation for the whole thing than, than it could be, but I was bored at school and I did not like unnecessary rules. Mm. And I, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy school socially, and so I, I was at a private school, and I started acting out a bit. And I wasn't actually that naughty, but the only sort of kid that I really got along well with was was a naughty, a naughty kid. So I kind of ended up hanging out with her, 
And um, she probably wasn't the best influence. At any rate, I ended up getting asked to leave that school because I dyed my hair purple and it was, a, you know, a pretty strict school with uniform and they're like, yeah, you can't come to school with purple hair. Um, Did you- and it was sort of getting towards the end of the year, so I just never went back and yeah. my parents were wigging out that I wasn't going to finish school and so I just said, like, I just don't want to, I don't want to go back to this private school. It's miserable. I hate it. Mm. And, um, I ended up convincing them that I should go to the local public school, mm. which turned out to be even worse. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a very good experience. I lasted a few months there and then I got asked to leave there as well. Oh, um, which was all actually, I, it didn't make me sound like I was a, a terror, but I really wasn't. I actually just, I liked dyeing my hair silly colors and they, they weren't fond of that, even though it was a public school and they, technically couldn't actually stop us from doing it. They, they didn't really like it very much. And so they asked me to leave. And the only solution my parents had after that was to potentially take me to this adult reentry school where, you know, it was all a little bit more relaxed. You could wear whatever you wanted and you called your teachers by their first name and it was all a bit more adult. Mm. And um, so I hadn't finished year 10 yet, but the principal of this school took pity on me and let me start school in year 11 before I'd finished year 10. And so I sort of skipped a bit of school and started started doing uh, year 11 and 12 a little bit earlier than I would have, um, which turned out to be amazing because I, I finished with good grades and everything, which would never have happened at the mm. previous two schools. Yeah. So it was a really good move. But anyway, I ended up hanging out with people who were 19 when I was 15. <laughs> and some of them had tattoos and <laughs> they kind of forgot that I wasn't actually old enough to have them. And, and you did too. Um, yeah, well, I just didn't care. Yeah, right. I got interested in tattoos because I was, I don't know, I guess I just liked alternative stuff. I liked music mm. played by people who had tattoos and whatever else. You know, I mean, they were just part of the, I liked a lot of alternative stuff and tattoos were part of that. And I decided to do, I didn't know much about them at all. It was very much like the people I knew with tattoos, they had a little tiny thing the size of a 20 cent coin, you know. Um, so I didn't know a lot of people with them and I didn't see a lot of them around or grow up around them or anything like that. I didn't have any family with tattoos. And so it was a very exotic thing to me. And I, I started researching them for a, in year 11 art. We had to do one of those research assignments where you sort of spend a long time investigating one subject mm-hmm. and do a big report. And I chose body art. And so I started researching it and buying tattoo magazines and I just couldn't believe the stuff that I was seeing. Mm. It was just a whole new world to me. I had no idea there were people doing portraits and and really, you know, large scale, colourful, just amazing stuff. But I had no idea you could even do that with tattoos. I had absolutely no idea. It was all new and it blew me away. Mm. And there's such a long history too. Yeah, well, and that, that I wasn't even, at the time, I hadn't even scratched the surface of all of that, you know. This was just mm. buying your typical tattoo magazines you can buy in the newsagent and just seeing what current stuff was around and and just just being blown away. I just had never seen anything like it. And I had no idea that it was possible to do that sort of work with needles, you know, on skin. It just mm-hmm. didn't. I'd seen a lot of bad tattoos, I think. And just the sort of typical, just little things that people get that are not well done and, mm-hmm. you know, are never going to, never really going to blow you away. Mm-hmm. And so seeing the stuff that was possible by some of the best artists in the world was just really transformative. And so... I just couldn't stop thinking about them. I just became completely obsessed with tattoos and that's how I ended up <laughs> deciding I had to get one. Yeah, for sure. So what did you do? Who did you go to? Um, I don't know his name, but I went to... Do you want to know his name? <laughs> no, no. It, it used to, The shop used to be called Fran Dragon Ladies um, Tattoo that's... Gallery, yeah, in Rundle Street. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it was one of... 
Yeah, so it was one of the nicer of, of the Bogan Tattoo joints in Adelaide, you know. Um, it wasn't the one down Heinley Street with the with the white power merchandise in the in the cabinet, mm. you know. So it was nicer than that place. And Fran Dragon Lady with these legendary dragon flash designs that I really liked. They were very 80s. So you got a dragon. I got a dragon. Whoever the guy was that did it, he, uh, for some reason, offered to do it for $20. I don't know if he um I don't know if he expected me to turn up alone and had other plans for getting payment or something because I've heard that that didn't happen. But, um, <laughs> who knows? But yeah, I know a few few ladies who have seen no. offered deals. Yeah, so I don't know, but I turned up with a bunch of friends anyway, so that didn't happen, and I got my tattoo for twenty dollars, which is ridiculous. It was supposed to be eighty. Yeah, right. And so uh, twenty dollars made it made it affordable. Yeah. What did your mum think? Was she impressed? Oh, my God. Well, she didn't know at the time. I hid it for quite some time. Did you? I, I literally did it during school hours. So my friends, because it was because I was at an adult re-entry school, you were allowed to leave the premises. It wasn't yeah. like a it wasn't like a regular school where you sort of have mm. to stay in school grounds and stuff like that. So in between classes, my friends took me to get this tattoo done and then brought me back to school again. Where'd you get it? Oh, it's on my hip. So hidden, hideable by a pair of underpants, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and so that was my plan for not letting my parents know about it. Yeah. Have you still got it or have you gone over it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's still there. Have you put I a circle around it really and sort of big red arrows saying, my first? Well, it's, you know, it actually doesn't bother me because it's so small and it's in a spot that I don't really, I just don't really care that it's there. But it's, I think it's kind of funny and I don't think I'll ever get rid of it because it's a very silly but vaguely sentimental memory. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. pretty ridiculous. And it, just, it looked terrible because I didn't, I think I literally only had the $20 for the tattoo and I didn't have the money to buy the cream, mm. the pants and cream to put on afterwards. And so I didn't look after it very well and it stuck to my clothes and I ripped half the color out. So it's no. basically just an outline. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That would have nasty. hurt like so hell. It did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a graze. If you imagine like a graze knee if it's stuck to your tights or something, yep. and I know that you know what it's like to wear tights. Yeah. Um, Not tight, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You imagine that sort of thing, like a, a large surface area that's been damaged and it sticks to your clothes. Yeah, and then you've got to take those clothes off and just rip all the skin off. That's what happens with tattoos if you don't look after them properly. And um, yeah, there's, there's no color in there anymore. And there wasn't after I think that all disappeared after about the first week mm. while it was healing. So it looked pretty for a few days and then I, and then I ruined it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that only cost you 20 bucks. You can't expect like. Well, no. And I just don't think I even cared. I was just like, yeah. I've got a tattoo. How cool am I? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's shit that it looks bad, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what happened when your mum did find out? Yeah, she hit the roof. Um, she saw it because I, I, I made the mistake of wearing undies that had a little lace panel in the side and you could see it through. <sighs> I must have stumbled out of bed one morning, just in t-shirt and undies, and she and she saw it. Yeah, she wigged out completely. I got the whole "you're not my you're not my daughter" (laughs) speech. It was all very dramatic. She just couldn't believe it. And I mean, I guess at the time, this was what oh god, twenty something years ago. It was probably to her, it was very shocking Mm. that I would do that. And I think it didn't stop being shocking until about 15 years later. And then she started realizing that it was okay. <laughs> yeah. Has she got tattoos no. herself? Oh, God, no. No, she never will. <laughs> she never no, <laughs> not in a million years. If she came not to you, say in 10 years, 
right? I'm assuming, I don't know how old she is, but like she'll be I'm, eighty. She'll be eighty. Yeah, she decides she wants a butterfly on her ankle. Would you do it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> oh look, I yeah, no, I probably would. She she won't though. No, it it just won't happen. But yeah, I mean, of course I would. I have a a, a strong reluctance to share my art with my parents because they've not got a good history of being supportive. Oh, that's um, so sad. Well, they sort of, they pay lip service to being supportive in certain ways. And now they are. They, they, they now are sort of trying to make up for a little bit. But, mm. um, look, when I was younger, and I think this was part of me being a bit of a terror as a teenager and us fighting a lot, they threw away everything I ever made. Oh. Every piece of art I've ever made, it's gone. The only stuff that I've got is stuff that I made after the age of 17 that I had mm. with me because I had moved out of home. But everything that I ever did as a kid, and I started doing painting classes from probably the age of five, mm. I was never, I, I was obsessed with art from a very young age. I was apparently saying I wanted to be an artist when I grew up from about the age of three. So it started early, and I made a lot of art. I was very prolific. I drew every day. Mm. And there's none of it left, not a, single, not a single thing. And so I'm not really very inclined to give my art to them, ultimately. Mm. But if she wanted a tattoo, I would I would honour that. But there's no way to that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd tattoo yeah. a butterfly and then tear it off straight away. Take that. <laughs> this is payback <laughs> for all the shit I had to put up I'll with. I'll totally look after it the wrong way and she can ruin it herself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so No, no, I don't. I don't like to hang on to any resentment about that, but it's... Um, no, look, don't. because colour things a little. Mm. Yeah, like it would just chew you up. Well, it did for a while. When I first found out that that all my art was gone, I, I didn't speak to them for quite a long time. Yeah. And I went to counselling yeah. about it. Did that help? It did. Yeah. But um, it turned out to be a very big deal in terms yeah. of just my... Oh, hang on. Sorry, Audrey is crying. I might need to go and deal with that. Yeah. Hang on, I don't care. I might just have to, um, hang on. Oh, yeah, Miles has these night terrors where he wakes up screaming. No, um, does he? He doesn't wake up. He doesn't wake up. He's still asleep. But yeah. he'll be screaming. And, uh, and then, of course, it wakes her up because she's in, in the bed next to him. So. Yeah. How old's Audrey? She's about 10 to... In January. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've got them in the same room at the moment, which, I don't know, it's sort of weird. I can't tell if it's working or not. But um, that's what we're doing for now. Yeah, yeah, Lou and Em were in the same room until they were like 12. Yeah, right. I like the idea. Yeah, I like the too. idea. We'll see, if it, see if it works. Mm. Yeah. So sorry about the interruption. <laughs> yeah, it's totally good. <laughs> So you were you were like painting and drawing all the time. Did you want to be a professional artist in the mainstream sense, or did you just bypass all that? I don't think I ever did. No, I don't think I ever had ambitions to be like a painter or something. Yeah. I knew I always wanted to do something with art, but in all honesty, I don't think it was ever about being an artist per se, like a painter or a. You know, I think I actually did always imagine it being a job that was artistic. Mm. So I went through phases when I was a kid where I was interested in like interior design and I mm. went through phases where I was interested in, you know, more illustration sort of stuff and I thought about illustrating books or whatever and just always – and then, you know, as a teenager I sort of thought, oh, maybe I should do graphic design or 
and I even studied fashion design for a while because I loved making my own clothes as a teenager. Mm. And um, my parents insisted that I had to study when I finished year 12. And I didn't really, yeah, I didn't want to go to art school. I didn't enjoy the way that you had to study art at school. And I didn't, I didn't like the idea of going and studying fine art. It just didn't, didn't appeal to me. And I think I did, well, I know that I started thinking about being a tattooist as a teenager, sort of around 15. I think at first it was too intimidating. I just thought, oh my God, these people must be like the best artists in the world to be able to do this on skin. It's amazing. And I just didn't have any kind of context for how you might do it. And then mm. I think I just thought I'd have to be so much better than I was in order to do that. It seemed scary and, and, you know, like such a lot of responsibility and stuff like that. You only get one shot when you're doing a tattoo, hey? Yeah. Well, that and the thought of that seems really scary when you've never done it. Mm. Um, but then when I started getting, so I sort of started getting custom tattoos around 18 or 19. And then it just, it took the mystique out of a little bit. I saw up close people doing it and I saw that they were just ordinary people and, mm. and I could see how they got the effects that they got with the needles. And I don't know, it just, just, just took all of the mystery out of it. And I was able to say, oh, I could probably do that, you know? And the more I learned about tattooing, the more it felt like this is the right thing for me. It just felt like it was a real, it felt like a real calling. Yeah. Probably around about that age, like 17, 18, I started thinking like, I think this is what I need to do. Yeah. And then getting tattooed really confirmed that. I was like, yep, this is the job for me. I just, it wasn't about this is a way to make money as an artist or this is, you know, it was never a compromise. It was like that was the thing that I wanted to do. I was completely obsessed with doing that one thing. Yeah, I didn't really contemplate doing anything else. It was kind of until I'd had a crack at doing that, I wasn't interested in other things. Do you reckon that you're lucky you found something like that so early? Definitely. Yeah, well, I talk to people all the time who are my age and still don't really, they still say, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, you know. Yeah, like, same in here. In their 30s. Yeah, so I feel very fortunate that I had a passion. And that, that really is just luck because... Like I actually had a skill as well that I developed somehow early and I don't know why that is or how it happened, but I was always a natural when it came to art. I was always able to draw well for my age and all that sort of stuff and always had an interest in it. So when I was a kid, mum and dad just said I was so easy because I was happy as long as I had a wad of paper and some textures. I just didn't mm. need anything else. Mm. You know, they didn't really need to buy toys for me. They didn't, I didn't need anything. I was just as long as I could draw or paint or make things, you know, I often had clay and stuff like that too. Mm. But I was always happy as long as I could make art and I did it every single day. Mm. And so it was just, it, it's not like I just, it's not like I made a bunch of smart decisions about what to do with my life. It was like, I I just always was inclined to do that. And my natural interests led me to a job that happened to be, you know, one of the few ways you can make a living as an artist because, and that is actually fortunate that that's what I wanted to do as opposed to, you know, it, it being some kind of compromise, like I would have liked to be a painter, but I guess this is better mm. than nothing. Mm. It was actually what I really wanted to do. And so I feel very fortunate that I wasn't one of those people who was like, I want to be a musician or a painter and then just spent my life struggling, you know, because obviously mm. a lot of people do that. And I feel for those people because you do have to pursue what you want to pursue. But at the end of the day, not all of those things are good ways to make a living. And so, yeah, I'm yeah, very, very it's, it's such an interesting thing. You know, you can make a really good living at it. Mm. It's still an outsider's activity, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I guess, I mean, less so than it was. It certainly was a lot more when I first started doing it. 
I, I got a lot of raised eyebrows when I told people that I was a tattooist when I was younger, and now no mm-hmm. one seems surprised by it. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's definitely, gosh, the whole industry and the whole perception of it in public has changed dramatically in the last 10 or 15 years. It has, hasn't it? Um, Why is that, do you reckon? Mm. Um, look, I think a lot of things are changing. You know, you think about how much so many ideas have changed in the last in the last decade. You've got things like gay marriage that have been legalised all over the world, and you know there are just a lot of things that are becoming liberalised. I guess the whole mm. uh, whole society is becoming liberalised, and I guess that's part of it. It's just people are are pushing for acceptance and things like that, and and I guess that's just part of it. Is People and look, you know, to be honest, I don't know that it's, I don't know that that's necessarily a permanent thing. I don't know that no. the new acceptance of tattooing is going to be permanent. I can totally foresee a time in the future where there's a swing completely away from it again, where people decide that, you know, tattoos on people in in jobs in in you know very public jobs like retail, and I can imagine there'll be a swing away from that again. I don't necessarily think this is some kind of linear thing mm. where people just become more and more and more accepting over the years. Like I do, I do wonder if it's kind of a fashion thing at the moment, and if it's part of a, I don't know, a modern sort of attitude towards lots of things that could still shift yeah. back in a different direction again in future. I don't know, but certainly it's it's worked well for us to do in the meantime. Yeah. But uh, it's more because you know, I mean, even when I was young, you couldn't get a job in retail with a visible tattoo. No, you know, I mean, that wasn't. And now you go to the bank, and there's like someone with a tattoo in their finger serving you, and it's kind of, you know, yeah. that, that just would not have happened when I was a teenager. Do you, reckon, do you reckon they've got more sophisticated tattoos? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of gone hand in hand, hasn't it? Yes, I'm not sure that that's why they've become more accepted, though. I don't think it's because they've become better. It could be. Partly, but when I think about a lot of the tattoos that you actually see in, say, the mainstream media, not that I spend a lot of time looking at that, but, you know, tattoos on celebrities are notoriously bad. And, you know, like, celebrities don't necessarily have good taste just because they have money. And so, you know, you're not going to see the best tattoos on celebrities, right? So the, 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 the tattoos that are in the public eye are often not very good. And a lot of people in bands and people in the public eye have stuff that I don't think is tasteful or sophisticated and so I don't know that the quality of tattooing having improved a lot, which it definitely has, but I'm not sure that that's responsible for the public acceptance. I think it is just um, shifting attitudes towards a lot of things. I mean, there are a lot of I don't know, I mean, you even sort of think about standards in fashion. I mean, you don't have to dress up to go to the casino anymore. Mm. You know, you don't, I don't know, I don't even see people getting dressed up to go to weddings anymore. Like, it's kind of a lot of standards have kind of dropped. It's actually a really unpleasant way to paint it. But, like, ultimately I do think, yeah, like, as a society we sort of relax about a lot of things. Mm. And I think tattoos are one of them. So, and look, I, I don't know if some of it is actually just that resistance is futile a little bit because if all the people who apply for a job turn up with tattoos and you've got no applicants without them, you can't really have a policy of not hiring people without tattoos, you know. Like, it's... um. If, you, if you're a manager and your best applicant's got a tattoo and you don't employ them because they've got a tattoo, you're mad, frankly. Yes. I mean, it's just nuts. Totally. Who cares? Yeah, and I mean, I get that there are certain industries. Like, I I can completely understand that if you run, like, a, a high-end bridal boutique, <laughs> you might not want people with tattoos working there. No, really. Like, I totally get it, you know. There, there's a time and a place. You know, I think all bridal boutiques need tattooists as part of it. <laughs> well, maybe they do. 
And look, I'm sure there are bridal boutiques that have heavily tatted women working the counter. I don't doubt that for a moment. I'm often surprised to see how... Because I guess to me, I still feel like a little bit of an outsider. I still feel like tattooing is an outsider profession. But yeah. I'm often amazed at how mainstream it actually is that you see a, a big billboard for just jeans or whatever and all the models are tattooed. It's kind of like, well, this is totally mainstream now. This is not... Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't really... Doesn't really change how I feel about it on a personal level, but it's just clearly it is not considered outrageous or shocking or or at all. It doesn't seem to indicate anything. It's just part of it's just fashion in the same way that clothing and haircuts are now. It's just mm. it's not. So I don't think that you would even be considered edgy to have someone with tattoos working the counter at your bridal boutique. But I totally get that. I mean, I actually feel as someone who loves tattoos, I still feel like there's a time and a place, and I probably wouldn't. I'd probably feel weird about going buying something like a wedding dress in a boutique with a star hat teddy. I don't know. I just kind of feel like they're kind of. I feel like they have a place where they belong, and maybe there are places where they don't. I agree. It's probably an unpopular opinion among a lot of people, yeah. but I, I just, I like that. To me, they kind of they are meant to be a little bit hidden, you know. Mm. They're not just meant. I I probably would never have got into tattoos if they were completely mainstream, you know. Mm. Because part of being interested in them was that they were part of part of the, the little underworld away from that. Yeah, and part of your part of your secret life too. Not that you've yeah. got a secret I mean, life, but that's probably <laughs> the wrong word. But like part of maybe part of your private life. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely that's the interesting thing is that most of the people that I tattoo, and this wasn't always the case. So like the people that I tattoo now, you know, I have. A private studio, people come to me for what I do because they like what I do and it's not, mm. nobody else knows that, they, that they're that they there. It's not a public shop. It's just me and them in a private studio. Often the, the blinds are drawn. So there's nothing public or visible about getting tattooed by me. It's something people do because they like what I do and they want the mm. results yep. as opposed to, you know, I've worked in shops before that are kind of super cool tattoo shops where they're almost a sort of a hangout place and there's a scene around it and you know what I mean it's a bit of a different thing yeah. and in those shops I noticed that the clientele sometimes were more concerned with the fashion of the tattoo they were getting and the fashion of the shop that they were getting it at and all of the stuff that goes along with that yeah. than they were about the private experience between them and me and the private wearing of the tattoo mm. in their life yeah. That seemed to be completely secondary. And something that I find interesting is you do have those tattoos where people get them to be cool and they want to go out and they'll, they'll, they'll go out wearing a singlet in winter to show off the thing they got on their bicep. You know, there's that side of tattooing where people do just want to impress other people and they want to be cool and they want to fit in, whatever else. But I would say 100% of the clients that I tattoo these days are not like that. And the reasons they're getting their tattoos are very private. Mm-hmm. And not not that they would never share them with other people, just more that they're their relationship with their tattoo is personal and the fact that it's been on their body and they're wearing it and that that can be seen by people is very, very secondary. And oftentimes people do get their tattoos in places where people can't see them specifically because it's not for other people. It is very much mm-hmm. something they're doing for themselves. And I I think about that a lot. I think, I, I think it's really interesting because I do try to figure out why people get tattooed, yeah. what it is that makes you want to do it. Because I know for me, I mean, I definitely went through my phase when I was younger where there was this kind of, I felt so cool for having tattoos. And especially when I got my first one on my arm, I just couldn't stop grinning that I had a tattoo that other people could see. And I thought it was so cool, you know. But at the same time, the drive to get them was something very, very personal. 
and I don't know where it came from or what it was, but it was this kind of, I need to do this. I need to get these. I have this insatiable kind of curiosity about about wearing tattoos and having them on me. And it wasn't about how it would make me look or how it would make people perceive me or any of that. It was something different. It was like a need to to decorate myself in that way. And, and it was, there's something about the relationship that the person has with their tattoos that just is way deeper than the aesthetics. And, and obviously the aesthetics are important because it is a visual medium mm-hmm. and you want the tattoos to be beautiful. But for so many people, the tattoos, the, the, the aesthetics do come very secondary to sometimes even the process of getting it like that. It's so interesting. The actual like catharsis and stuff of it, you know, of going mm. and like going through an ordeal to mark an event in their life or something like that. That's often a big part of it. It's like a coming of age, some kind of an initiation or something. You know what I mean? Like it's mm. a, yeah, people go through the experience of it to have the experience as much as they go through it to have the tattoo at the end of it. Yeah. And it, it is often very, cathartic and healing for people if they've been going through something mm. so yeah you, you've got a mark haven't you like it's you can call it a brand even maybe if you want to sort of go down that pathway too you well i probably wouldn't use the word brand just no that, that, i'm, I'm thinking of rose tattoo of... song you've got to forgive me <laughs> <laughs> <You've angry Anderson. laughs> i'm branded i was never a rose tattoo fan no i mean yeah, neither no, I... that's what i'm thinking about <laughs> But yeah, I mean, certainly marking yourself has a, a very specific sort of feel about it. But yeah, c- certainly mm. it's for the vast majority of people getting, I would say the vast majority of people getting serious custom work, maybe not because people do get custom work that's just totally just to make them look badass at the at the pub, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there, there's certainly a large number of artists out there that are probably catering more to people getting very personal stuff done that is... Mm. Yeah, not really designed to be super public. Mm. You often hear that tattoos, or the, no, the, the, the process of being tattooed is addictive. Yes. Yeah, and, and it kind of is, and I don't really know why, because, no. I mean, I'm kind of at the, I mean, to some extent, you know, you get a tattoo on your right arm, and then you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, my left arm looks boring now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to balance it out. actually that just, once you've kind of gone there, it's just, it's kind of a little bit, it can be hard to, to know when to stop. But yeah, I mean, I find it interesting because tattoo, getting tattooed for me is not a big priority in my life at the moment. Mm. You know, I've got a young family and we've yeah. got a house that needs to be fixed up and there's lots of other priorities I have and I, I don't have money to spend on tattoos at the moment for myself. You know, I, I spent a lot of money on my tattoos when I was younger and yeah. I got quite a lot done. But I still find myself, even though it's not at all a priority for me and I, I don't think it would necessarily be a problem if I never got tattooed again, I still find myself having that strange urge to get them and I still think about things that I'd like to get and, mm. you know, I still see things and I'm like, wow, one day I'll get something like that tattooed on me or, you know, I still have the weird, the weird sort of inclination towards doing it even though it really hurts, it's really expensive mm. and, um, and it doesn't, it's certainly not something I need to do to prove anything or to, do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, I don't, when you're young, when you're a tattoo apprentice especially, you partly get tattooed to learn, mm. you know, so getting tattooed is a huge part of your apprenticeship. You have to get tattooed because mm. that's the only real way to actually observe tattooers at work and see what they're doing and experience all of it, the tattooing, the mm. healing, the, mm. the, the consultation, the drawing, the stenciling, all of it, you kind of get to experience it and that's the best way to learn, you know, so you kind of have to get tattooed a lot as a young tattooer. 
Did you have good teachers? Yeah, look, I, I, I learned primarily from, from Shep. You better explain who Shep is for them. Yeah, so um, so so I, I learned how to tattoo in Adelaide and Shep at the time was far and away the best custom tattooist in town. He'd moved over from, well, he was originally from Adelaide, but he'd gone to Melbourne, learned some tricks and come back to Adelaide. And there were just not very many. Look, Victoria has always had a lot of very good tattooists and it has less of a problem with bikies. And so mm. there are a lot of shops in Victoria housing tattoo artists doing beautiful custom work who are not hampered by the by the, the problem of bikies owning all of the shops or wanting a cut of their money. Whereas in Adelaide, there were only a, a couple of shops that were not owned by bikie gangs. And so it was just harder for anyone in Adelaide to, to set up more of a custom art studio kind of a kind of a place and so the shop that I learned at was called the body art shop and the owner Goma who still runs it he essentially was given permission to start a shop my understanding is he was given permission to start because he worked for Hells Angels for a number of years and was friendly with them and they said you can open up as long as it's kind of down the road from us we will leave you alone you know mm. and I guess to some extent that meant he had their protection as well because Otherwise, you know, some other gang could come along and threaten to take over or whatever. Body art so, shops uh, used to be in Welland. It's not there anymore. Yes. No, now it's in Flinders Park. Right. <clears throat> so down the road a little bit. Down the mm. road a little bit, yeah. Mm. So still going. And uh, Shep's still there as well. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so he's yeah been there for a long time now. But yes, he was doing some very exciting work. I wanted to get tattooed by him. As well, and so I started doing that after I, I actually saw his work in a tattoo magazine. So I bought a copy of uh, Tattoos mm-hmm. Down Under yeah. that had an article about the body art shop, and I saw his work, and I was like, "Wow, I'm going to get tattooed by that guy." Yeah. And so yeah, and you know, got along with him really well. Turns out he knew my husband Sean from back when they used to go to see bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Sean used to go see his band when he was younger and stuff, so they kind of knew each other a little bit. And yeah, so I started getting tattooed by Shep and. You know, along the way, he found out I wanted to be a tattooist, and we talked about that a fair bit. And you know, he told me, you know, your art's good, and obviously you're, you know, you're dedicated and stuff. So we don't have room for an apprentice now, but when we do, we'll give you a call, sort of thing. And so that was promising. You know, it was still a few years. I was uh, working at Off Your Tree, <laughs> um, <laughs> doing body piercings and selling bongs. <laughs> yeah, so that was my day job. <laughs> was my first. Yeah. I bet your mum was impressed with that day job too. Oh, she was so proud. Oh, yeah. She went and told her all her friends. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if she ever came in. I don't think she did to the shop. Yeah, I don't think she did. Yeah, what wasn't my proudest moment? Off your tree is not a very nice establishment to work for. So, But, you know, it was a job. No, they're still going. No way. Well, they are here anyway. Are they? God damn. Yeah, I haven't haven't been in there, but yeah. Yeah, look... It, it was a job where I got to do. It was actually it was actually a good job in a lot of ways as mm. a segue into tattooing because I did I, I did a I did my training in body piercing, yeah. which meant I did a whole lot of cross contamination training and all that sort of stuff. But it's actually more stringent for piercing than it is for tattooing because you're you're actually causing a deeper wound with a piercing mm. and there's greater risk of septicemia and other horrible things. So the sterility that you learn around body piercing is actually very, very stringent. And so that ended up being a real benefit. When I started tattooing, I didn't need to be taught anything about that stuff. Yeah. I was very proficient with using an autoclave and 
I knew a whole bunch of that stuff already and, and so a lot of that came naturally to me and I just needed to learn. I reckon tattooing would be the only apprenticeship you could do that's not sort of certified. <laughs> yeah, and I'd, there'd be others for sure. Yeah, I meet people from time to time who work weird old trades where there's no official apprenticeship available. Yeah, but yeah, but not it's, so many it's as surprising. tattooing. Like tattooing, it's you know there are plenty of tattooists out there. Yes, yeah. For something that is as big as it is, it's amazing how long it's taking for it to become more regulated. But it is starting to happen. Is it a good thing? Yeah, I don't know. It it could be. It's a bit unknown, really, isn't it? I mean, I, you don't know how it's going to affect the industry until it's happened. So it's one of those things where I kind of feel like a lot of people in tattooing really love the underground sort of nature of the whole thing. They love that mm. the apprentices the apprenticeships are hard to get. Mm. And they love that the apprenticeships are tough. Mm. And they you know, there's all of that it kinda of goes along with it. A lot of people love that it's not accessible. And and there's part of me that agrees, but then I also feel as though it doesn't necessarily I don't know. Best case scenario is you want the people with the most potential and the most talent to be the ones who are in the best position to obtain an apprenticeship and to succeed in the industry. Mm. And I'm not 100% sure that this system we've sort of been fostering does that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Because to some extent, I know that I would never have ended up becoming a tattooist. I would never have completed my apprenticeship if I wasn't completely determined because it was really tough. Yeah. Um, what did you have to do? Tell us, walk us through an apprenticeship. Well, do you know what? Mine wasn't even a tough one, but mine was an easy one compared to a lot of people. Some people have to scrub the toilet floor with a toothbrush every day. And oh, you know, some people get made really? humiliating things. That's mad. Yeah, a lot of a lot of tattooists have stories of having to do very grueling and humiliating apprenticeships, and that mm. was just part of proof to us that you're worth. You know, it's I don't I don't get into that. And so, I think that's a never power relationship that. that you don't want to win. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, and I, I don't think I would have pursued an apprenticeship like that just purely because I just think it's disrespectful and pointless, you know? It's pointless, yeah. Yeah, and look, you know, I knew that I had something to offer. I knew that I was a good enough drawer that that would have been a waste of my time. Mm. And luckily, Goma knew that too. I mean, Goma was never, he was a, a lovely, a lovely man to work for and he never expected any of that. He was a decent human being who would never yeah. have expected me to do anything pointless. Good um, you, Goma. Yeah, yeah, he's a good egg. I worked long hours, so the shop was open 10 till 6, 5, maybe it was only open 5 days a week. I was generally there 6 and sometimes 7, depending on, you know, if I had maybe a project I wanted to do on a friend or something after hours or... But it was just, you know, the shop hours were long and then when you're an apprentice, everything takes longer. Everything yeah. takes longer because you're still yeah. learning and so... I would be drawing tattoos and I'd draw them and rub them out and draw them and rub them out a hundred times. And, you know, I mean, generally speaking, most days I would work quite a long day. So at at the time as well, this was about 15 years ago, maybe not quite 15, 13, 14 years ago, I was making all my own needles, which most people don't do now. Most people now buy pre-made needles, but at the time it was still relatively common for for tattoo artists to make their own which just means buying, they're like acupuncture needles, little mm. little very thin needles that you solder together in little bundles. Mm. And so you solder them together in different sizes and shapes so that you have a range of, of needles to use for your, for your tattooing. And it takes quite a long time to solder them all. You solder mm. them individually into the little bundles and then you solder them onto the needle bar and then you take them to work and you've got to clean them and you've got to sterilize them before they can be used. And so that 
so the work started pretty early in the morning. You've got to get up and solder, and then you've got to get to work early, and you've got to sterilize everything. Sterilizing takes an hour or so, so you've got to do all of that mm-hmm. before your first appointment. And, you know, so it's the day's long, and then you work all day, and then, you know, at nighttime I generally have to draw because mm-hmm. I'd have a whole bunch more tattoos to do the next day, and drawing just took me a long time because that's the bit that really – I mean, it's the longest – it's the thing that takes the longest anyway, but it's also, you know, when you're still young and, and learning, you, you really want to get it right. You want to do the best possible drawing you can do, and you know that it's going on someone permanently, so you just mm-hmm. desperately want it to not suck. And so that took a long time, and so often I'd be up. I'd get home from work and eat something, and then I'd just be drawing until Til midnight, one in the morning. That's so interesting. Get up and draw again. Yeah, you say the drawing for the tattoos takes longer than the tattoos itself. Mm. That's it's often the case, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not self evident, is it? No. Tattooing seems like it takes a long time. I don't think anybody would really know. Yeah, well look it depends. Look, I'd say now the balance has tipped a little bit the other way because I'm a lot more proficient yeah. at what I do. I'm a lot more experienced and I but I also only do certain things. Yeah. So now I specialise and I know that I can draw plants in a short space of time proficiently. Yeah. Whereas there are other things that I can't. So if somebody came in and wanted, you know, something custom that was like, you know, a girl's face with, you know, all kinds of adornments and I don't know, she's holding a cat or something. It's like, that's not something I can just bust out quickly. Whereas if it was just a bunch of roses and, you know, it's just like, I can, I can do that. You know, I know I can do that in a short space of time. Do you get paid for the drawing? No, not separately. But, you know, the hourly rate for tattooing is high. So it factors that in. Mm. To the to the cost, you know, the the hourly rate is high for a reason. But look, some people some people do charge. Yeah, some people charge for the drawing. It'd be good for people to actually know that if you're going to get paid two or three hundred bucks an hour, there's a whole mm. lot of things that go into that two or three hundred bucks that are in, in addition just to the hours that you're sitting down on the couch. Yeah, I mean, I think some people probably recognise that, that that there is a certain amount of work. You know, this, and even just training in terms of like yeah. that you don't get to be good without doing a whole bunch of work to earn yeah. that, you know. Yeah. And so most people don't question it, but certainly when I was younger, I had a harder time helping people understand why tattoos cost what they did. And and people often wouldn't know the hours mm. that you spent torturing yourself. And look, to some extent as well, that's just part of – it's not like I can charge somebody. As an apprentice, I can't charge someone for 10 hours of drawing – because I'm an incompetent drawer. <laughs> because can't. I'm learning. It's you know not, what I mean? It's, it's kind of like, what it, no. Yeah. So those no. early years are tough because you just, you don't have the skills yet, but that's not the customer's problem. It's no. your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one's going to pay for it. So you've just got to struggle through a lot of extra work just just to do your job properly and, and trust that one day it won't be such a struggle. And now it's not. You know, that's the thing. No. It's totally worth putting all the work in. Yeah. Because now drawing for tattoos and doing tattoos is not the struggle it used to be. But um, no, because you you're excellent at it. You know what you're doing. You've done it before, lots and lots and lots of times. And hmm. yeah, and look, I know I know what I can and can't do. What I'm willing and, and not willing to do. Hmm. It changed things dramatically having children because I do not have the time anymore <laughs> to waste. I think children you know, change a whole lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they changed so many things. But yeah, for yeah. me, it was it really drastically made me fix my. I mean, I used to have a real hard time saying no to people, and yeah. I would just take on these jobs that I did not yeah. want to do. Yeah. 
and things that were just a nightmare to draw. And I do it because they were a nice person and I, I wanted to help them out and, I, you know, whatever else. But And often they were really lovely people and I enjoyed doing the tattoo and, on that level, but, but I would take on a drawing that was really out of my comfort zone. And I just don't do that now because I know that I simply can't do it. Mm. I'm not going to take time away from my family so that I can draw a tattoo I don't want to do. You know, yeah. it's not going to happen. And I don't have to do it because I've got enough clients who get what I want to do. So I'm lucky in that regard. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just I used to spend all weekend and all night, every night I would just draw. You know, and if I had a tattoo to do that, I'd, I'd, I'd do one sketch. And then if I sort of thought, oh, I wonder what it would look like if I did it this way instead, and I'd just do another one. I didn't even have to. But sometimes, I mean, I had nothing else to do but draw, you know. Mm. And there's just a lot more to do when you have children than draw. Yeah, and, there's uh, heaps more, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more stuff going on, and and your time is very much. Yeah, I mean your 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 weekends are, or your, your days off are compromised, and you know you just you just don't have the freedom to sort of spend as long as as long as you want working mm. anymore. And so now I have to keep things streamlined. I'm really mm. appreciating the time you're putting into this, Amy. Oh no worries. <laughs> yeah, no, because I know where you're at. In fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, and for the people that are out there. I don't know what time it is in the night that we're talking, but it's not it's not early evening, you know. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, what was the walk us through the very first tattoo you did on somebody? Who was it? And oh, how did that <laughs> turn Sean. out? It was Sean. No way. Yeah, yeah. So my first tattoo pig. that I did. Yeah, bless him. Bless yeah, him. he was my my first ever guinea pig as well as and, – and my so my first tattoo that I did on him was the first tattoo he ever got. Yeah, wow. He'd never been tattooed before. And he probably never would have been tattooed if it wasn't for me needing a guinea pig. Really? Tattoos were never really his thing. He's got a but, lot, um, though, hey. He's got – yeah, <laughs> I needed a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoops, I made a mistake. Just stay there. <laughs> uh, no, 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 most of them are okay. I mean – some of them, he's got a few tattoos that I did once I was a bit more competent. Mm. Um, but a lot of them were learner tattoos, and they, they're all still pretty good. The first mm. one I ever did is a little bit patchy, mm. but um, that's to be expected. But it's never been touched up, and it's not its not horrible. I mean, it doesn't bother either of us. It's on his wrist. <laughs> but it's, um, it's fine, you know? Yeah. And look, you know, the thing is, if I really needed to, I could totally fix it, couldn't I? I mean, it's not like... Oh, you, know, you could totally fix it. You never would. It's yeah. like um, the gardener no. who's got a shit garden or... Yeah, totally. Well, I'm often amazed at how... We've got quite a lot of shit out on our walls at home, actually, and I'm often amazed about that. I sort of think, God, people must come here thinking, because not only am I a tattooist, but also Sean, mm. my husband, runs a fine art printing and custom framing business, and we've got almost none... There's just almost no framed art in our house. <laughs> and none of it's really... Yeah, not, like not much of it is actually my favourite stuff that I really love. You know, there's all this stuff that I'd probably love to have up, but you know, you just you're always your own last priority, aren't you? We've got a bunch of it up at the shop, you know. So that's the other thing. We do have a retail shop that we have filled with beautiful art, so we have a lot of it there. It's just not in our house. If you're spending yeah. a lot of time hanging up beautifully framed artworks in your house, you're not spending time with your kids, and I reckon true. get those kids going, look after them, yeah. spend time yeah. with them. Well, so you can't have nice things when you've got small kids around. It, well, you so probably could, but you'd, you'd <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you'd do with all the mess that would happen. Yeah, no, exactly. I learned that the hard way because I bought a really beautiful rug 
Did you? <laughs> you know, our house was cold. Oops. Our house was cold and we needed a rug. But a big wooden floor in our lounge room with no insulation. So we needed a rug and I bought a really beautiful one. Mm. Yeah, that was a mistake because it's not beautiful anymore. Mm. Or maybe it's just got character. You know how you like one scratch yeah, is damaged. A hundred scratches yeah. is character, so it's it's becoming characterful. <laughs> yeah, I called it before I had character. I mean, it actually already had. It was it was a handmade vintage killer mug from Turkey. So oh my it, was already, God. it was already quite quite psychedelic and quite um. It was all sort of misshapen and it's not completely symmetrical and stuff. So it already had some character, mm. but it's got a lot more now. That's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're holding off on buying most things until the kids are a bit older. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Can you explain how tattooing works and how the ink stays oh, in the skin? Not not really. <laughs> God! <laughs> <laughs> Who can? I can tell you that the way to get it to stay permanently is to get it into the permanent layer of skin. So, obviously, you have skin that sheds yeah. and regenerates constantly. I think you have about eight layers of that. And right. we've got the permanent layer, which is the layer that will scar if you cut it. So the same way that a cat scratch isn't going to scar you forever unless it's a really vicious one. Yeah, a tattoo, if you did a tattoo really, really shallow, you know, if you didn't hang your needles out far enough and you did it really shallow, it would just fall away. It would disappear because it wouldn't be in that permanent layer. Mm. So it just needs to be in it's around about a millimetre. Around about a millimetre into your skin is, is deep enough to get to that permanent layer. Yeah. And then any ink that you put in there will stay. And it's just to do with the ink being biocompatible as well. So you can't just use any old ink. Some inks will, which which is why the purple stencil stuff that you put on to to mark out where the tattoo is going to go, that doesn't mm. stay permanently because it's not biocompatible. So that will always disappear. Mm. But the actual and same with if you draw on the skin with a sharpie or something, because you can draw a tattoo on freehand with a texture and then tattoo over it, and the texture is not going to be permanently in your skin. Your body will filter it out. Yeah. Whereas the inks are designed to, I guess, ultimately not be recognised as foreign by the body, and so they just, just get ignored. What were they traditionally? These inks, Ooh, octopus. Um, they were made from octopus. <laughs> squid ink. I don't know. I don't know. If squid ink's biocompatible. Didn't have a clue. Mm. I, I think generally the blacks are some form of powdered carbon sort of stuff. I mean, yeah. Not really very good with chemistry. But I think black is a relatively simple sort of a sort of a thing. Most of the black inks are, are fairly compositionally similar, I think. But then when it comes to colours, that's where things have vastly improved in the last ten years or so with mm. more sophisticated technology. The early coloured inks were all full of heavy metals it's and stuff. Pretty recent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah really recent. Really recent. Yeah. Well, and even just I would say even up until about five years ago. I still had a lot of trouble with, you know, red inks causing allergic reactions in people oh, really? and even certain colors dropping out over time. So there was a yeah. huge problem for a while with orange colors. A lot of orange colors would just disappear over time. So they'd go in looking amazing and they'd look amazing for maybe like a year and then they just start fading and then like five years later they're gone. Mm. And so I think the ink companies were still really figuring out a lot of these things. I think they finally nailed it. A lot of the colors now are really bright and they, they go in beautifully. They're nicer to use than they used to be. Mm. A lot of the colors used to be kind of gluggy and unpleasant to use and now they're, they're beautiful and they, they've got a nice consistency and they go in bright and they stay bright and they don't cause allergic reactions in people. And there's also a lot more regulation with the inks now in terms of the manufacturing, mm. in terms of the good brands. You know, they're still, you can buy horrible, nasty, ink from China on eBay or something if you want to, but the good quality inks that are stocked by the major tattoo supply companies, 
are all, I don't know much about it, but I know that they're all heavily regulated in terms of, uh, and then manufactured locally as well most of the time, I think. So yeah, right. the same brand of ink that you can buy in, in Europe, the one that we can buy here in Australia is manufactured in Australia. I'm fairly certain. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I know that I know that it's very very heavily regulated now anyway. Where they they really do a lot of testing on the colours yeah. compared to what they did years ago. Is there any chance that you could get cancer for some of the from some of these colours, or are they completely non-toxic? I don't know, but I, I would say there's probably a chance you can get cancer from a lot of things, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, including you know foods that we think of as being totally benign. So like I yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. But that's one of those things that, God, it takes so much research to figure out causality with with that yeah, sort of thing. It I mean, totally does, doesn't it? I've I don't never know. heard of anyone think... having a skin cancer on a tattoo, although I'm sure it's happened. I've heard of no, I haven't either. Heaps of skin cancers on their scalp or on their face or whatever shoulders, neck, mm. but never like localized on a tattoo because they've got a tattoo. So it must be pretty no, good. No, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it would necessarily be skin cancer that you'd be dealing with. I, my understanding with the because look, I've heard people have told me every now and then people say, "Oh, I read an article in the paper that said tattooings <sighs> cause cancer," and yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, look, there are tattooings you can buy that are not regulated, that are manufactured mm. on the cheap and sold on eBay for cheap." backyarders, people who don't take their job seriously, mm. and some of those inks probably do give, give you cancer. I don't know what's in them. Cadmium, nickel, uranium. They're made out of uranium, all of them. Yeah. Well, the white, I know that the white tattoo inks used to have lead in them back in the day. <laughs> Fuck, really? um, the first one, <laughs> yeah. So, you know. But yeah, look, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously cancer is a complicated thing too, and there's a variety of ways that it can develop and for a variety of reasons. I reckon infection would be the biggest thing with tattoo though, hey? Yeah, look, I think so. I mean, look, there are some things like this that we, you can't know until, until they've been around for longer. You know, we can say we're pretty sure these colours aren't going to disappear after 20 years, but you actually don't know that until 20 years has passed. Yeah. You can be fairly certain, but you don't actually know until, until you get there, you know? And so, look, who knows what might come around eventually in terms of our, our knowledge about what tattooing does to people. But people have been doing it for a very long time. And yeah. our knowledge about what chemicals do in the body and our knowledge about communicable diseases and all sorts of other things has improved over the years. So I can't see there being a lot of surprises there in, in the future about the impact of getting tattooed. I just, I, I think it's pretty safe. I think we've been doing it long enough now to know that it's pretty safe. Yeah. And in all honesty, I mean, life isn't safe, right? We all die in the end and it's kind of like, I, I know that for me, if learning that getting tattooed slightly raised my risk of developing cancer or something, it, it wouldn't stop me from doing it. No, Maybe for someone else it would, but, mm. you know, you're not going to get out of this thing alive, so you might as well. You're not. Live it up. Mm. And look, plenty of people have been for millennia and small, small things. Yeah. And there's so many bloody things we do that are bad for us. <laughs> gotcha. You know? It's just like, God, I don't know. Pick your battles, you know? Oh, God, yeah. I just think, yeah, I've never seen any evidence that there's enough of a risk in getting tattooed that it would be worth anyone worrying about. You know, no. in terms of things like cancer, I've not... No. I've not heard. I mean, and I've, look, I've also heard that there's any, any number of new technologies people worry about that sort of thing. You know, so I was talking to a lady once who was a client of mine, and she was a 
a laser technician. She did like laser hair removal in a beauty yeah. salon. Yeah. And she was saying, you know, because I said, oh, are there any risks to laser? Like, I don't know anything about it really. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure if there were concerns or, or risk factors or anything. And she said, oh, some people think that it could uh, increase the risk of people developing tumors. But she said there was no evidence of it. And I was like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't know. So obviously there, there's always suspicion around things that haven't been around for a long time. And to some extent, that's probably a good thing, right? You should always be a little bit cautious. But yeah. I think for the most part, um, unless there's a massive, obvious correlation between people getting sick and, and, and the activity, it's probably not worth worrying about. Yeah, I don't think I'd be too mm. worried about it. What yeah. about the machines themselves? How have they changed over the years? Oh, my God, they've changed so much. Well, interestingly... Look, machines aren't one of those things that I know a huge amount about. Some people are just massive machine nerds, you know. They <laughs> write writing to it. I've got friends who are like that, and I'm just Do not one of those people. I like, I like doing tattoos. I don't care to tinker with machines, you know. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's not my thing. But I know that the simplest DIY, the sort of thing you can make in prison, I think that's essentially still, that design has persisted for a long time. It's a relatively uncomplicated sort of a thing. It, it's designed to push a needle in and out, you know, so mm. you don't, it doesn't need to do a lot, but they have become a lot more sophisticated and interestingly, most of the machines seem to be going in the direction of, of being rotary machines, which is a different sort of motor mm. from the old. The ones that I learned on when I was an apprentice were coil machines, which means they have electromagnetic coils that cause a, a magnetizing and then and then a break in the, in the magnetizing and then a I'm using not very technical terms here, but mm. yeah, it creates a sort of a up and down motion using magnets. Mm. Whereas the rotary machine is different; it's got a different sort of motor. They were sort of really frowned upon by a lot of people. I used to buy some sort of tattoo magazines that would really rag on people that use rotaries and talk about how they were ruining the industry and stuff. And now it really seems to be where they're all at. Most professional artists now seem to use rotaries. That's what I use. Yeah, right. And yeah, they've become very sophisticated. And interestingly, one of the one of the people that seems to be leading the way in modern tattoo machine design. I mean, it's not. I'm I'm not um, really in touch with a lot of the different companies that are making them. But the machine that I use is made by a company that's run out of Adelaide. A, a tattooist from Adelaide designed this machine called Neekjector, and it's it's just amazing. It's wow. changed my changed my life completely using this machine. It's yeah. yeah, I've never turned back once I got one. What makes it different in terms of the use? Um, it's incredibly light. The machines that I started using were literally made of iron and they were heavy. And after about six years of tattooing with those, I could barely lift a teacup. Really? Because my hand was, yeah, I was definitely developing carpal tunnel and I had to stop yeah. using them. Yeah. And so I switched to rotaries primarily for, for the weight difference at mm, first. Yeah. <clears throat> so these ones are unbelievably light. Instead of being made of metal, they're made of, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's fiberglass, but you know, some kind of, Really lightweight sort of stuff, and they're very, very quiet. They're extremely efficient. I can definitely and very um, predictable, like just very um, consistent. I've, I never, I've never had to fix. I've, I've had. Well, I've got two injectors now. I only just bought a new one, just, just kind of for fun recently. But the one that I've always had has never required repairs. Wow. It doesn't require tuning, whereas the original machines I had to constantly tinker with them to get them to run nicely mm-hmm. uh, and replace parts and stuff like that. This just doesn't it's never had a replace a, a piece replaced. It's never it's never failed. It just does its thing every single day. Yeah, it's just amazingly consistent and um, I might get consistently good results with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that's mind blowing is that they um they've got this new system which the guy in Adelaide didn't didn't invent. It was created by someone in Canada, I think, but this new cartridge system where instead of the needle being on this long needle bar, 
which is how the needles always used to be in, in the old machines, you have this little, it's only about an inch long, maybe a little bit bigger, but like a little cartridge with the needle inside it that clips into the end of of the grip that you hold mm. while you're pedaling. And so you can use the one machine with as many different needle sizes as you want without without having to change your setup. So mm. it's a little bit, unless you're familiar with the, with the old system, it's hard to hard to compare but basically when I was learning I had to have a machine for every needle so if I wanted to mm. use a little thin a little thin detail liner mm. and then a big fat outliner for the you know for the bold lines and then a little round shader for the details and then a big flat shader for the larger areas I'd have to have four machines all set up mm. with four different grips four mm. different needles mm. and they all, all required to be set up and wrapped up yeah they all had to be wrapped in plastic and stuff like that and you'd have to change and then they'd all run on different frequencies, so you sort of had to adjust your oh, power man. supply with each one, and you're constantly chopping mm. and changing. It used to take me an hour just to set up for a tattoo, yeah, just to get all the machines set up and everything and wrapped up and all that sort of stuff. And then with the old ones, you had—I mean, that was four needles you had to make yourself, and then four <sighs> tubes that you had to scrub and sterilize. Mm. And with this machine, I have a disposable tube. I use one per tattoo attaches to the machine and then you take out as many needles as you need so sometimes I'll have six and you just clip it out when you need to change the needle over clip the next one in and you keep going this is yeah. completely it's to save so much time and it's and mostly I don't even really need to adjust the voltage on the on the power supply it just they just you know you might need to adjust it a little bit but it's just so much more efficient and it means because I like yeah. to have a lot of needles set up I like to do lots of different you know, I kind of like my details and things, so I have a lot of different needles set up for each tattoo, and it saves me so much time. It's just way more efficient. I really enjoy it. So that's just changed things completely for me. Yeah. What about before there was electricity? How were tattoos done? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on where you went. So, I mean, lots of different parts of the world had their own, and still do, have their own traditional techniques. Usually it's just something sharp, dipped in some ink, and and jammed into your skin, really. It doesn't, it's pretty uncomplicated. <laughs> so in Japan, they have a similar sort of needle to what we use in terms of like little, the little acupuncture needles, little fine needles. My understanding mm. has always been pretty much how they do it is they, rather than soldering onto a needle bar, they just bound a little bundle of needles onto a piece of bamboo or something, like a little handle, and then mm. you just push it. So you just push it into the skin using your hand. Um, and you can still see people doing that. I think it's called tabori, the traditional Japanese technique. There's still people who do it now. Mm. It's very uncomplicated. You literally just need the ink and something to push it into the skin with and the technique to do it well, which not everybody has. But that's the, you know, yeah. there are people who do stick and poke tattoos that are just, yeah, same sort of thing. You just get the needle and you just push it into the skin. And my guess is if you're in a prison, that's how to be done. Yes, or, or with a hand, like a like a DIY machine. I know people yeah. who've made tattoo machines out of the internal mechanism from a Nintendo Rumble Pack or whatever, you know, like there's all kinds of <laughs> little ways you can make a... Here's a story. Yeah, yeah. How did you get that tattoo? Uh, yeah, that was my Nintendo machine. Oh, man. So the, the, you hear the best stories when you're covering up tattoos. Yeah, Because sure. people, people yeah. getting tattoos covered up very rarely don't have a story behind what they're covering, you know. There's a number of different ways to, to make a machine and plenty of people in prison have figured that out. But yes, you can actually just push just push something sharp into someone's skin, which teenagers have figured out. <laughs> I never did. I didn't even want to when I was No, I never did that either, no. But yeah, no. look, there's lots of different ways. There are people still doing traditional tattooing in Samoa and other 
sort yeah. of our Polynesian islands that are, um, I think they're done with, it might even be shell or something. I might be wrong mm, about that, but it's I something. Heard pig tusks. I don't oh, know. Oh, could that's be, true, yeah. Though. Look, it could be. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not that familiar. Mm. You can ask Shep. He's New got Zealand one. ones were, I think. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't know how they're done now, because obviously people doing traditional tattooing techniques now have updated their. You know, they're using some modern hygiene standards and all that sort of stuff. They're not doing them 100% traditional. Mm. But I think there are still people who do use traditional materials and things. And, yeah, I think basically you just need something sharp and some black ink and away you go. There's lots of different ways to skin a cat, you know. For some people, mm. they tap it in. You know, like in New Zealand, their traditional technique was not, not just tapping but also kind of carving. They had like yeah, the, the, those, yeah, mm. the ones on the face were done with a sort of a little almost like a chisel, so that it mm. creates a little groove as well as the mark with the ink, which is pretty hectic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's a bunch Imagine of different how ways. painful that would have been. Yeah. Oh, God. Fuck yeah, yeah. Pardon my French, yeah. I, mean, I think no, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't I actually know that much about all the different historical ways tattoos have been done, but one thing I'm fairly sure about is that they've been done just about everywhere that's ever existed, you know. And forever. Yes, and then I think with the only exception being places like Africa where they, they're dark enough that they can't mask the skin with ink, so they do it with scarification instead. But that's yeah, the only okay. exception, I think. Everywhere else mm. where people are light enough to be tattooed, they've 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 done that in some mm. way or another. And for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Like to prove somebody's bad, to make them a slave, or to try and heal them, or yeah. to become part of it tribe i think traditionally it was mostly it was mostly a positive thing yeah i, I think you've that's got, my understanding too yeah i think it's more i don't know whether um the idea of using tattoos as punishment uh came from like not as a punishment but more as a mark yeah like a permanent mark yeah that you've done something you're a bad person mm. and you're never going to get away from that but i would think that they probably do it they probably brand you It'd be so much easier and uh, more painful. Yes. <laughs> God, what does that say about my brain? Nothing, because <laughs> I don't think like that. How do you feel, actually, when you tattoo somebody, you're giving yeah. them this work of art that they're going to wear on their body for the rest of their lives, but you also you are inflicting pain. Do you mm. think about that, or is it, um, is it part of the thing? I do. Yeah, and I, look, I really don't like causing people pain. I don't enjoy getting tattooed myself at all. I find it really very painful, and so I'm sympathetic yeah. in on, in that regard. Yeah. Like some tattooists are quite unsympathetic; they're just like, "Ah, oh, toughen up, whatever." You know, <laughs> I get it. It's I, I find it very painful, so I understand what people are going through, and I, I have quite a lot of sympathy. But I expect people to do their best to put up with it and to be brave because they're choosing to do it. You know, and I don't I don't really have time for people who are unwilling to endure some pain to get what they want when, you know, it's not like they're going through. It's a known you know. thing, isn't it? You, you know yeah. when you're going to sit down, you're going to experience pain. Yeah, and you're choosing to do it mm. and you, you, you're opting to do it. And I've always warned them in advance if the area they're getting is quite painful and I don't sugarcoat things. So, mm. you know, I sort of think as long as you're willing to, to try your best to put up with it, I, I'm more than happy. Like I use numbing spray during the course of, of most tattoos that I do, and do yeah. I'm more than happy to do that because I don't actually like people to suffer more than I need to. It doesn't numb the tattoo completely at all. It just takes the edge off. Yeah. I sort of think that pain is part of it, even mm. though I don't like it. I, I've i never completely 
numbed a tattoo or sort of I've never used like a pre-deadener. I've had a little bit of numbing spray used on me and that's helped, but it certainly doesn't numb it. Just just helps you get through when, mm. when it's getting a bit ouchy. Mm. But I've never, you know, people do come in and they've, they've used the pre-deadener completely numbed the whole area. And I, yeah, I don't mind if other people do that. That's up to them. I don't begrudge people doing it if it helps me. Doesn't, does it change it for you? Like, does the skin alter in any way? A little bit, yeah. Look, it's, it's a little bit annoying just because it makes it makes the area a little bit slimy and look, some people think that it changes the, the way that the tattoo heals. I don't actually know mm. if that's the case or not. Mm. A lot of people use numbing cream now and I've not noticed any major pattern in terms of people coming back with bad heels or anything mm. like that as a result. But the thing that I notice the most with numbing cream is that it makes me feel a little bit tense because you have this limited window of time to, oh, really? to tattoo before the stuff wears off. That's pretty And you're just constantly aware of... Yeah, well, it just makes me constantly aware that You've when it starts to wear off, they're mm. going to start feeling it. Mm. And obviously they don't want to. That's why they've used the stuff. Yeah. And so it makes me feel that little bit pressured to try and get the thing done before all the stuff wears off. And then I worry that they're not going to cope when the stuff's not numbing them anymore. And so it just it just brings a sort of tension that I don't enjoy. I actually feel like people almost cope better sometimes when they don't have the stuff and then just kind of what you see is what you get, you know, like the pain that you experience when you first start tattooing, it just is unaltered, you know. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you're going to feel. Mm-hmm. And most people actually start out feeling it quite intensely, like the first few lines are always, well, that's, that's pretty stingy. Yeah. And then your body produces endorphins and it's like, okay, this is all right, this, this you know. And then they chill out a little bit, you know, because you do, your body does create these things to help. And so most people actually cope a little bit better if they don't use the numbing cream. But psychologically, I think a lot of people are so nervous that they need that in order to overcome the fear. Mm. Maybe that's part of the addictive nature of tattooing, of getting tattooed. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because there are just times when... You just kind of want to do it. And for me, when I feel like getting tattooed, yeah, it, it would never occur to me to numb. It just would, it's just not, yeah, I kind of feel like going through the pain is part of it, even though I don't enjoy it. Mm. It's weird. Yeah. There's plenty of people out there that get intimidated by people who have got tattoos. I'm just curious whether mm. you've intimidated anyone. <laughs> I'm sure I have. I try really hard not to. But, um, I can't imagine you. I find it amusing when people, I mean, people are sometimes intimidated. I, I do find it amusing because I'm small, I'm, I'm short, and I'm pretty smiley, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not even remotely scary. But yeah, look, I mean, some people just see tattoos first, yeah, and they go, oh, you know. But it, look, it's pretty rare these days that anybody's intimidated by me. I mean, I particularly in Melbourne, I think there's a lot of tattooed people here, mm. and you know, nobody bats an eyelid. I used to find it more more so when I was younger, but yes, people can be intimidated by by heavily tattooed people. It's probably about it's an imagining of what tattoos used to represent and where people came from. Yeah, if they were tattooed because they came from prison or they came from pretty strong working class backgrounds, and uh, or even just yeah, there's definitely that. I mean, that's why my parents weeped out when I got my tattoos yeah. because that's because that's their association with them. Mm. Is that good people don't have tattoos, you know? But but there's also I think there's also almost an element of that you must be some kind of badass that you're really tough or something. Mm. And then I don't know, like yeah, I mean people I think it, they definitely did used to have different sort of connotations, and even if it wasn't necessarily criminal, there was just a sort of a I don't know. I mean, I used to look at tattoo magazines and see the the women in them when I was young, and you know they were often 
they just they just look tough. They just look yeah. like cool chicks, man. They have yeah. had shaved heads and crazy piercings, and they just look like you wouldn't want to fuck with them, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure most of them were lovely, but they just gave them an edge. Yeah. And they probably were tough, because you do have to be tough to get tattooed. Is it part of what attracted you? Yeah, yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, I always just loved the way they looked, you know, as well. Yeah. Like, I just always loved a different sort of aesthetic, I guess. I always enjoyed the old. Um, seeing, seeing people who were, yeah, who looked different. And, mm. you know, I mean, I don't look very different anymore. I'm pretty normal looking aside from my tattoos these days, but... You know, I always looked a bit different when I was young, and I just loved stuff that was a bit out there. And and so yeah, I mean, I and I still do love the way tattoos look. I still love the look of beautiful pictures on a body. They just, mm. I don't know, I yeah. love beautiful bodies without pictures on them too. But you know, <laughs> there is something about there's something about look to me, tattoos are similar to a painted vase or some other. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm. decorations on an object, and it's the interaction of the shapes, the shapes and forms of the image with the shapes and forms of the body that creates endless unique opportunities for mm. for me it's it's a very specific difference the difference between putting a piece of art on a, a piece of paper or a canvas and putting it on a body because mm. the body has this completely different I mean aside from the fact that it's a human being and it's alive and it's got a life and a story and everything connected to it which is also exciting mm. but the the shapes are so different you know the same, like, like you can take a drawing for a tattoo that's just a rose or a some kind of flower or whatever, and, and it doesn't look special on a piece of paper, but the, you place it on the body and it's magical, mm. you know. It mm. completely changes the whole image. And so I think there is something about tattoos for me that, that, that does sit along with, like, I don't know, painted furniture or some other, you know, yeah. just ob- beautiful objects, everyday life objects that have been adorned. And that has always appealed to me more than art on paper or, or canvas. I don't have a strong desire to make that kind of art. I've made it over the years and I've enjoyed yeah. making it, but I have more of an inclination towards, like I find myself at the moment constantly thinking about textile design. You know what I mean? I love things that can exist in your life, in everyday life. I love the idea of designing botanical textiles, you know, yeah. I, I just because there's something about the functionality of it and the everydayness of it that I really enjoy as opposed to something... I know, almost having this sacred space up on the wall, it's meant to be special in some way. It's kind of like, I like the, I like the normality of it just being an everyday object or something. So for me, tattoos are kind of like that. They're just part of your life. They're part of your body as opposed to occupying some special place in a frame, you know? And they're three dimensional. Yeah. You can look around them and they're changing. Yes. And yeah. clothes do that too. Yeah, and interestingly, I mean, I did. I used to absolutely love making clothes, and I still do. I don't make them very much anymore, but I still love. There's something about creating something that's to be used. It's just really enjoyable, and um, and when you can combine aesthetics and functionality and and beautiful, yeah, fabrics and all, that, it's really satisfying, you know. I do know. Mm. I really do mm. know, and you know, these conversations that I have on this podcast are all about exactly that. We're talking about mm. craft. We're not yes. talking about fine art. We're talking about mm. stuff you can use that is su- supremely beautiful mm. and functional. Yes, which is increasingly rare, sadly, these days. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, there are some pretty amazing things out there. Design, I think, has been fairly highly prized. I think our cars are getting mm. better looking after a long period of being really boring and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And general objects are 
Sometimes they look all right. Yeah, look, that's true. Yeah, I guess compared to the craftsmanship that previously used to be put into certain things, sometimes it seems very mass-produced and... Look, 100%. But look, obviously also, mm. things have never... You know, that level of craftsmanship's never been available to everybody, right? It hasn't. And the things that have lasted have lasted because they've... They've always been for kings and queens and shit like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you, the beautiful uh, hand-carved gilt frames in, in galleries survived mm-hmm. because someone with an exceedingly large amount of money commissioned yeah. it, you know, from someone. Yeah. It's not like everybody had those sitting around in their house. Yeah. Do you have any tattoos you um, wish you never got? Yes. Part yes. of your first one. Um, <laughs> I definitely have tattoos that I wouldn't get again, and I think that's... Partly just being young, not having the foresight to realise that um, I'd grow old <laughs> and my priorities would change. And look, I think by the time I was in my mid-20s, like maybe 24, 25, I realised that I didn't want stuff on me that was sort of uh, not going to be real timeless. But when you're young, it's very, very hard to see into the future and you don't necessarily picture yourself at the parent-teacher interviews, you know, or the... <laughs> You know, you just you're just not imagining that stuff when you're 19. No, you're you know, not, yeah, yeah. no, not at all. And so uh, I try to really hard as a tattooist to encourage my clients to think about those things. Do you? And yeah. to just try as hard as I can to say, look, I know that this is the furthest thing from a priority to you at the moment, but just believe me that you are going to age, and this thing is still going to be there. Mm. And take for it that you won't care as much about Harry Potter. <laughs> when you're 40, as you do right now, you're just not. You're just not going to. And who's heard of Harry Potter anyway? Who the hell's that? <laughs> very, very hard for people to imagine that when they're in the midst of their, oh, you know, obsession with something. Yeah. You can't foresee a time when you won't be in that place, but you, you'll get there and then you'll be embarrassed. You've been tattooing things that are pretty timeless, though, haven't you, for a while? Well, that's been my priority for the yeah. last probably, I'd say, 10 years or so is just trying yeah. really hard to think about the longevity of the pieces and think about look, people's relationships with their tattoos change over the years. But I think you're not necessarily always going to have certain associations. People often get a tattoo because they want to symbolize something or whatever. Mm. And probably when they're older, they're not going to think of that thing when they look at it. You move on. You go through a phase of something that seems really profound or some particular idea has grabbed you or some mm. particular realization has come through you and changes your life. But that that's a momentary thing and then you, you keep learning new things and you keep having more insights and keep mm. having new experiences that change you and so that one thing isn't going to stay symbolic forever you know and so there's lots of people now who have a southern cross tattoo because they were a backpacker and they came to australia and <laughs> you know had a nice time and wanted to get a southern cross and now people associate that pretty explicitly with the, like the criminal riots and mm. people think if you've got a southern cross tattoo you're a racist you know what I mean? like that's just <laughs> what they mean now and so they, yeah, they do change dramatically depending on all kinds of things. But, I mean, certainly when someone wants to get something that's really obviously and explicitly, literally symbolic or just representative, like people often want like a, a lyric from a song or something that they love mm. or a line from a particular author or whatever it is. And I try to encourage people to get something that's visual that can change with their changing with their changing psyche because it will change. That line from a book that seemed really profound when you were twenty might seem really trite when you're thirty. 
and then you can't actually escape the fact that that's just what it says. Whereas if it's a picture that represents that book you loved or whatever it is, mm. you can, you know, it can shift, it can, it can grow with you. And look, one of the reasons I, I mean, there are a number of reasons I love doing, I guess, ultimately like natural history object, anything from nature, plants mostly, but animals and insects and things like that, lots of birds, you know, and then other, you know, shells and crystals, anything that's natural, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fond of doing. And, um, I just don't think that anybody's, they're never gonna not be beautiful. And whatever symbolism they hold for someone is unlikely to change enough for it to become embarrassing or controversial. Yeah, no, they, they, they're going to remain being beautiful forever. And maybe the meaning of the tattoo for that person will shift, but mm. no one's going to, oh my God, I can't believe I got a camellia tattooed on me. That's so, <laughs> you know, like it's just, this is, you're never going to feel that way, you know? Yeah. And look, I know from having, from having covered up tattoos for years as well, because as long as I've been tattooing, I've been covering up people's old tattoos and mm. the stuff people get covered up it's it's pretty predictable what they get covered and, and why I mean every now and then someone will get something that's quite beautiful covered up and it's because of some association or yeah. you know they got the tattoo done with someone that they split up with or whatever it is you know mm. but most of the time they've got something that seemed you know important to them at the time or whatever and it's now embarrassing mm. or it's just ugly you know it hasn't hasn't held up well or whatever but most mm. of the time it's actually sort of a part of their life they don't particularly want to hang on to and it's just it's very obvious what it is you know when someone's got something that other people are like oh who's Brandon you know you've got like a name tattooed on you and people can ask you about it and mm. if that's embarrassing you don't want to talk about it then you're not going to want that tattoo there anymore you know and I certainly can never guarantee that my tattoos will be timeless enough that people won't be lasering them off in 20 years' time. I'd like to think not, though. <laughs> I don't reckon they would we'll see, be. Hey? I think your style is, God, you can see the intent. You can see the level of excellence you strive for. Oh, if somebody's going to wait a whole year yeah. for a tattoo yeah, from you, they're not going to turn around later. And, you know, hope not, yeah. They're going to turn around within six months, you know, like, oh, nah, I'm going to drop off your list, Amy. I don't think I'd. True, you know, yeah. It's, I know plenty of people do that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, I think that's definitely true that for the most part, that's one of the benefits as well. Of, it's, it's very annoying sometimes for me and certainly for my clients that I'm always busy. But at the same time, I think it's, it does sort of filter out people that might not be certain mm. about what they're, about what they're doing, you know? And it means that by the time someone does actually book with me, they're, they're really into the idea that they're getting and they definitely mm. want to get it done, you know? So yeah, so that's a good thing. Look, I've got tattoos on me that I wouldn't get again, but that I don't, I wouldn't say I regret them. They're just, if I had my time again, there's new and exciting stuff that I would get that you couldn't get back when I got my tattoo done, yeah. you know? Um, but I've got others that, that, yes, I'm actually kind of embarrassed about. Not many. The ones that I'm not embarrassed by are the ones that are sort of more timeless imagery, mm. you know? Because they're just, there's nothing offensive about them. There's nothing particularly of an era about them or... I didn't get them as part of a trend or just something that is concerning with the sort of Instagram era of tattooing. There are definitely trends that sort of, I think tattooing shouldn't be too much about fashion because fashion is something that is totally cyclical and, and doesn't ever stay the same, mm. you know? So I think for something permanent, it's not a very good idea to get too caught up in what's fashionable and that, no. that just sticks to timeless, you know? What are the new challenges coming up for you? Mm. 
For me, I would say I am increasingly disconnected from from the industry as a whole. I, I'm not sort of, you know, out in the hills in my little private studio. I've got a workmate who's who's awesome now, Sammy, who's been working with me for a bit over a year. Yeah. And so I've got a workmate which really helps because it's someone to talk to about tattooing. And yeah. Sort of, yeah, that's really nice. I've, I've been looking. They're pretty amazing. She's great, yeah. It's it's really nice having having someone a good friend to 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 have as a tattoo buddy. But yeah, not working in shops anymore with lots of other artists and not being deeply connected with the industry means I don't hear as much. You know, I, I'm more disconnected from the new stuff that's going on, new inks, new needles, new whatever, just just stuff that's going on. You know, I'm not real connected with it, mm. and and that also means in terms of technology, um, late to the party with. You know, I was one of the last people to join Instagram and you know, I'm just not very um, good at keeping up with where everybody's at with that stuff. You yeah, don't have to be an early adopter of that shit, Ivy. It doesn't matter. No, I know. I know you but don't have yeah, to. Look, there are times when I worry about being left behind a little bit and look, sometimes I think that might be a good thing too. I think it um, might be a good thing too. Yeah, and look, I know, I know that some people do work constantly and Instagram constantly and they literally post a new tattoo every day mm. and so they're obviously working but I just think I, I just I find the whole thing exhausting and I don't I, it's just not a priority for me and I don't I have enough work that I don't I don't need to so I don't and I worry sometimes that neglecting that end of things could, could be a mistake down the track if, if I ever do find myself needing more clientele than I have mm. <clears throat> I worry that I'm not going to know how to get them because I'm going to be so disconnected from social media and <clears throat> everything that's going on with that. So, yeah, I I feel a little bit like I'm getting old and losing touch. But then I also sort of think, you know, I don't really want to be part of that world. No. I don't enjoy being part of it. And I would, I'm glad that for the most part, I think, most of my clientele come through either word of mouth because someone's, I've tattooed someone they know or they've mm. been recommended to me you know, they saw somebody in the street and said, who did you tattoo or whatever, or because they found me because they, I get a lot of people finding me because they Google botanical tattoos or whatever. Yeah, really. Yeah. So for the most part, I think I don't actually need social media to survive. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually better for me because I don't want to be someone who needs it to survive, you know. Um, and so I think if I can make my business functional without needing to constantly be on there, then that's better for everyone involved. Definitely better for, you know, I don't want my kids seeing me on my phone all the time. Mm. I don't want to come home from work and fob them off because I've got to Instagram what I just tattooed. Mm. <laughs> doing that. Checking likes or follows or whatever. Yeah. Nah, that's it. And what I do is that I just see yeah, I've switched off all the I don't get any notifications or anything like that. I just I just need I need it to be, you know, at serious arm's length for it to be usable at all for me. Because if it's in my if it's up in my grill too much, I just I go a bit mad. I can't deal with it, so... Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, look, horses for courses, hey? Yeah, look, I was a tattooist before Instagram came along, mm. and I made a living, and I'm pretty sure I can survive 10 years later without it too, so we'll see, I don't know. You know, I also don't have a particularly young clientele, so mm. um, I um, I tend to tattoo people who are more anywhere sort of from their 30s to their 50s, sometimes even older. I mean, I tattooed a whole torso piece recently on a lady who was 61 really? mm. so you know what's the best decision you ever made <laughs> oh <laughs> i don't know i've made a lot of decisions in my life 
<laughs> to pick one. <laughs> you pick five. <laughs> What's your top five? Come on. Marrying Sean. That's number oh, one. Oh, that's for awesome. Sure. Yeah. Good no, on you, really, Sean. You rock, mate. <laughs> he does. Yeah, no, that, that definitely um, set my life on a, on a course that I'm very happy to be on. Yeah, that's great. Nearly 20 years later. Yeah, yeah it'll that's be our really, 19th really anniversary great. next year. Far away, that's the best thing I've ever done. And I, I just can't even imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't, you know. Very grateful to have the stability and the kind of constant companionship and the, all of the things that come from having an excellent partner, you know. It's mm. just, um, that's been very helpful through everything. But, you know, I mean, as far as it was, it was helpful even more specifically for tattooing to have him there through my apprenticeship. Mm. Put up a lot. <laughs> I was probably pretty hard to be around at the time. How helpful is it having him to have a dad around too for your kids? Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> he's an amazing dad. Yeah, <laughs> and look, we've managed. To, yeah, it. Mm. And it's we've got a really cozy thing happening with our shop. So, um, yeah. you know, Sean and I share a studio now. We we share mm. a shop where I have my little studio, and it's part of his shop, which has a shop front. He does his custom print, custom framing and fine art printing um, from the shop, and he does that four days a week. And then he's home with the kids three days a week, and I go do my tattoos on those three days. Yeah, right. And so we just tag team it, and that means we have one shop, one lot of rent, and we yeah, one space that we share, and it's really cozy and it's really nice. It means neither of us we've never had to do childcare, and yeah. it means he gets to do the stay at home dad thing, which is immensely beneficial both for him and for the kids. Dad's not someone that just kind of hangs around on weekends, you know. They've, they're home with him while mum's at work three days mm. a week. And so, yeah, that's that's left him really close and he absolutely loves it and so do they. So the whole thing's just, it's just great. It's really nice both being in control of our, you know, both being self-employed, mm. being in control of our work situations has enormous benefits. I'm, I'm only just realising actually how how good it is because so many people are so envious. We meet parents who yeah. have all of the stress of juggling yeah. jobs and childcare and, and babysitters and grandparents picking them up from school on these days and after school care and before school care. And, and I just think, bloody hell, we are so lucky that yeah. we landed on our feet with this stuff because some of it was kind of deliberate and some of it was dumb luck, I think. And we're just very grateful that we pulled it off, you know. Yeah. And we look, we had some difficult times, you know. There were there were times when I was like, "What the fuck are we doing?" You know, like we both yeah, started our businesses around about when Miles was like one and a half. <laughs> we literally both started businesses, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, basically, it was kind of accidental the way it happened. But Sean quit his job that he was doing. He was working at a picture framing place, and he quit mm. because he was having a shitty time with the boss mm. and stuff. And then I found out that the shop I'd been working at was closing down. Yeah, right. So suddenly, in the space of a week or two, we were both unemployed. And uh, we just kind of had to make a go of it. There were no studios around that I wanted to work in in this neck of the woods. And mm. so it was just, bloody hell, I better start my own. It was not part of the plan. And then the same sort of thing happened with Sean. He came across this local guy that was selling framing gear. And he just, it was just kind of a weird serendipitous thing. He popped into this local framing shop that he'd never been to before and this old guy was retiring and wanted to, wanting to offload all of his gear. Mm. And Sean was like, well, thank it. Mm. Turns out I need some gear because I don't have a job. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was all, and so for a while that was stressful. There was a lot of outlay and a lot of 
time not earning very much because it's all new and whatever else. And so that was some stressful times. But man, fast forward a few years and it's just, I'm just so glad we did it, you know. That's so, so awesome to hear too. Mm. Yeah, thank you. It is, yeah. 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 You know that you had the courage to take that leap and that that leap actually paid off for you. Yes. Yeah, well, that's the tricky thing, right? Because I'm sure that there are people who would say, don't take the risk because maybe it won't work out or whatever. I'm sure people have had dissimilar experiences, you know, but... But, um, I think the universe was providing for you and your family, you, Sean, Miles, and, and now Audrey It feels that too. way sometimes, for yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. So, yeah, yeah, we're very grateful. Mm. What was the hardest decision you ever made? Hardest decision? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It was very difficult to leave the job that I, so my first job in tattooing, where I apprenticed at the body mm. art shop. That was a very hard decision to make. And you moved state too. Yeah, well, yeah. So it was hard for a number of reasons, partly because I felt very indebted to Gomer and Shep for having given me my start mm. in tattooing. And so I, I mean, it wasn't a huge deal for me to move away from my family. It was a much bigger deal for Sean. So we're close to his family and, yeah. and that was, that was a bit harder. But Melbourne's obviously not that far away from Adelaide, so it wasn't a huge deal. But but leaving the body art shop, that was definitely hard. And I, I, I felt a thousand times worse because right before I was, right before I announced to Goma that I was going to be leaving, and I'd already lined up a job and everything, he was diagnosed with cancer, which he survived, thankfully. But, um, but yes, it was kind of like, oh, my boss is about to go through cancer treatment and I'm leaving. This is not the best timing. And I had a melt. I was just thinking, I can't, I can't leave him. I've got to stay and I'm going to have to quit this job that I've taken. And, but he was very encouraging me and said, look, you know, you've got to go do what's best for you. And yeah. he was completely fine with it all. Yay, Goma. Um, bless him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He stepped up again. Yeah. He's pretty golden. No, no, no. He's <laughs> he's he's a a really good egg. I miss him a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he gave me his blessing and insisted that I should go forth and do what I needed to do in the world. Yeah, which is good because yeah, we really we weren't sure how it was going to pan out for us in Melbourne, but we've really really enjoyed living here and mm. it's really home now. And I I just can't imagine not living here now. It's just one of those things. Yeah, mm. I don't think all of the opportunities that were presented to us having moved here whatever presented to us back in Adelaide it just it just feels like it was a vital step in the direction mm. we needed to go in to do what we do is fairly specific and I just I felt like I was treading water in Adelaide you know and, mm. and there was nowhere left to go that was up but yes it was hard because Goma was very good to me and I felt deeply loyal to him and do you know maybe there'll be a chance that you'll pay back not necessarily to Goma but to somebody Somewhere, sometime. Yeah, well, I hope, yeah. Look, I, I haven't really thought about taking on apprentices or anything, but I, I feel like one day I, I might. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd have people ask me before, and I've just said, look, I'm not in a position right now. I don't, no. you know, at the moment I'm just doing the tattoos I need to do to survive and, yeah. and pay my way while look, I've got little kids. And yeah, that's there's it. no room for anything else at this no, point. No, no, no. Mm, but, but one day years, I feel like I would. Mm, yeah, absolutely. If you're still doing it, of course. Yeah, well, look, I do have other things I'm interested in, but I'm not done with tattooing yet, that's for sure. But, um, mm. yeah, I've thought about studying other things. I do have other curiosities, but I definitely feel as though 
I could be a pretty good boss to someone and, and I could help nurture someone who wanted to be a tattooist in a way that would be um, as kind and encouraging and helpful and generous as, as Goma was to me. Because, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, I don't know if I'll ever make it up to Goma. <laughs> no, you'll make it up to somebody else. Like, you'll, you'll pay yeah, it hopefully. forward instead of paying it back. Yep. It's always struck me is that you can't take skills with you. You've got to leave them here. You've got to pass them Yeah, on. absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's an yep. imperative of people that are really skilled and that have built up a, a lifetime of experience, mm-hmm. decades of experience. It doesn't have to be a lifetime. I think uh, all that yeah, information's yep. got to be open personally and passed forward. Well, and I think it's an essential part of your own becoming well-rounded is, mm. is training someone else because I know that – I mean, I've never actually had an apprentice, but I've helped – people along the way I've, I've mm. helped apprentice people like we had an apprentice at the body art shop that I helped out quite a bit before before mm. I left and, and I've done a little bit of teaching type stuff in other scenarios and it, it just increases your understanding of what you do in ways that you couldn't imagine and so I find passing information on it's almost like you never articulated half of what you did until yeah. you had to explain it to someone exactly and then suddenly passing it on it's like oh wow that's why I do that you thing that I do <laughs> never really thought about it before you know yeah <laughs> so I think that's really yeah the teacher gets mm. taught 100% mm. definitely yeah and then of course young people have always got things to teach old people that they can't Without the young people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that how yeah, like your mum smashing a terracotta pot over your head. My head's harder than the terracotta pot, mum. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Oh man. Gotta make sure mum never listens to this. Yeah. No, I'm gonna send yeah. it to her. <laughs> gonna make sure <laughs> she's gotta find out sometime. <laughs> she's a grandma now. She's she's old enough. She can do it. And um, we've got to yeah. encourage you to get a butterfly on her ankle too. <laughs> yeah. You haven't met my mum, have you? <laughs> I have, actually. It was a fair while back. It was only once too. Yeah, right. Have you ever been in a really bad headspace and how did you get yourself out of it? Um, yes. I mean, I think we all have been. I've never, I don't know, I've never had any like major life disasters or anything, but of course mm. we all get in the funk every now and then and... You know, it's funny because I used to have crises from time to time about tattooing and I felt as though maybe I needed to quit and I was always a bit tortured about it because I wasn't really sure exactly where the feeling was coming from or what it meant. Mm. But I would I would, I would, would feel fed up with tattooing and, and not enjoying it and whatever else and, yeah. and, and sometimes feel all those things that kind of, you know, I would feel like maybe my work wasn't up to standard. You know, I used to get very easily disheartened by seeing amazing work by other people and I would compare my own work to it too much. And and of course, sometimes that's valid and it's good to kind of actually be realistic about where your skills are at and where they could improve and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But then sometimes it's also unhelpful because the work you're comparing yours to is completely different from yours and it's good in different ways. And maybe it's ugly in other ways that yours isn't or whatever you know what I mean it's just you can't compare apples and oranges so sometimes it's just not helpful to admire someone else's talent in a way that makes you wish you had theirs you know mm. um, and wh- I think realizing that that was something that used to get me down a lot was just thinking it was almost a feeling of like I always knew that I could draw anything I was never really down on myself but it was almost like I was never I was never as keen on what I could do as I was on what other people could do so I would look at other people's tattoos and go, why can't mine look like that? And it's like, well, it's because it's not, it's not what you do. 
you know, and so I'd admire people who did stuff that was more simple or stuff that was more abstract or stuff that was mm-hmm. more ornamental and less realistic or whatever. And I'd be like, why can't I do that? And it's like, well, you just can't. It's not you. Mm-hmm. And so what made me more comfortable with what I did, and I think probably what improved my work also in the long run, was deciding that the best tattoos I could do were the ones that I was best at. And that that might not be what I what I wanted to do, you know, so maybe I want to do Japanese sleeves. But if they don't come naturally to me, I need to abandon that idea and do something different, you know, and just go with what actually comes naturally to me. And at some point along the way, I realized that that was planche. Um, and that, I think the first tattoo that I ever did that made me realize that was a piece that was, I generally don't like being given those sort of really open briefs where it's like, just do whatever you like, mm. you know. But this girl said that to me. She was like, I just want, I think she wanted hummingbirds and flowers. And she said, this is the space on my arm I want it to occupy. Just do whatever you want. I, I drew the, the thing up and it was just a pleasure to draw. I drew Morning Glory because it's one of my favorite plants. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a vine, so it has these beautiful creeping kind of it's got beautiful tendrils and lovely heart-shaped leaves and it's, it's a beautiful plant. And so, and it just has a, a nice, you know, because it's a creeper, you can kind of take it up an arm and, and it kind of has a nice flow to it. And I just thoroughly enjoyed drawing it. I was like, that's easier to draw and it looks better than most of the stuff that I draw. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it, mm. it just was so natural and comfortable for me. And I loved the way that it looked. I was able to take up quite a large space on her arm, but it was very sparse. You know, it wasn't all co- covered like a sleeve. It didn't have background. It was just the plant with the bird. It, I was just happier with it than with most of the work that I was doing. Mm. And so, yeah, that sort of, I really noticed that, that like that was more fun to do than most than most other work. And yeah, look, I don't even know exactly how it happened, but eventually when I moved to Melbourne, I got interested in doing botanical illustration classes. Mm. I, I honestly, the only memory I have of why that happened was because I was reading a lot about plants and I was reading a lot about plants because I was interested in psychedelics. Um, <sighs> and I, don't, I wasn't interested in taking them. I've never been big on taking them at all, but I really enjoyed reading about them and all of the, the, the weird possibilities and the kind of incredible experiences people can have. And and I just I found it so fascinating that there are plants that create alkaloids that can take people to outer space and mm. they have no other purpose. Like the chemicals in those plants don't exist to serve the plant in any way. Mm. They're literally just there so that whoever eats them goes to outer space. And I just think that's pretty amazing. So I was just very fascinated. I was reading a lot of books that were sort of talking about people's experiences taking various psychedelics and that's how I got obsessed with drawing mushrooms because I read some stuff about people who take those Amanita muscaria mushrooms man that just make your hair curl just the most amazing experiences people have so look somewhere along the way I had the idea of taking botanical illustration classes to further my interest in plants and I guess the aesthetic nature of plants I was finding that to be something I was drawn to in my tattooing. Mm. And then the two just kind of merged where because I was drawing plants all the time, I had people come to me going, I heard you're the botanical illustration girl. I want this <laughs> I want this plant tattooed on me, you know. And then they just kind of merged into this one thing. And now I just do tattoos of plants, which is great. It, it seems yeah. really like the universe is providing and you're listening. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think that's really important to pay attention when an opportunity is presented or when when there's information you need to receive, you need to be open to it for sure. And most of the mm. the most profound experiences I've had have been like that where it's sort of 
there's been lots of strange synchronicity and you could just fob it off as being coincidences or whatever if you wanted to. But I've, I've, I found treating them as more important has been beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. You've delved into things that you're really, really interested in and passionate about and you've been open to pursue them, take that risk, go out yeah. on the limb, not say, oh, no, we no, we can't do it. We've got a one-and-a-half-year-old son. You know, we've got to look after yeah. him. I'm going to go and get a job. <laughs> I'm going to be a cleaner yeah, for the rest yeah, of my for life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you could always be more sensible or more sort of, yeah. Yeah, and look, I think, you know... I don't know about more sensible, Amy. I've got to say, <laughs> yeah, I think you did the well, sensible you know, thing. In theory, yeah. The yeah, conservative yeah. thing would maybe... It doesn't always feel sensible at the time. A lot of decisions I've made don't necessarily seem like they'd be sensible. I married my husband at age 19, mm. six months after meeting him. Wow. And lots of people didn't think that was sensible, but it was like... You're still there 20 years after, hey, you know, like yeah. 19 years after. yeah. I didn't last yep, that yep. long. <laughs> and, I, and I was like 28 <laughs> or something. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, look, you're not alone there. But I think, you know, certainly sometimes you just got to go where your heart tells you to go. And mm. it doesn't feel sensible at the time, but it pans out to be in the long run. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think being... Honest and sincere, those things have always been very important to me. And I think that's maybe I could have gone, oh, I'm interested in doing tattoos of plants, but it's not trendy, so there's not going to be any money in it or something. Do you know what I mean? Like you could always find a reason why that's not cool or that's not marketable or it's not whatever. But because I was just following it out of a sincere interest in it, that becomes something that people are then drawn to. And I think if you were somehow cynically trying to be the person who carved out a name for themselves being the, the girl who did the botanical tattoos, maybe it wouldn't work. But because you're just doing the thing that you love and you're genuinely interested in it and you're just doing mm. it because you love doing it, not because you're trying to make a name for yourself or you're trying to make money, it draws people towards you. And, and they're the right people. They're the people who are also sincerely interested in and genuinely appreciate what you do and it's kind of I guess just playing the long game a little bit rather than thinking about is this going to serve me now you know it's just kind of like well this is what I want to do so I'm just going to do it and trust that it works out you know I'm a firm believer in that yeah look you keep believing that (laughs) there's like playing that fashion game I think quite often it's born of anxiety Mm. yeah yeah it's yeah, it's like of, you don't trust yourself. Yeah, mm. wanting to fit in and it's born from that feeling that, oh, somebody else is doing it better than I am. I better keep up. Yes, and that's definitely how I used to feel and my work suffered for it, I think, when I was in that place of comparing myself to others. Mm. And that's actually also another reason why I've disconnected from social media a bit more is because I, I find it anxiety-inducing. I don't want to constantly yeah. see, even though there's part of me that enjoys seeing beautiful tattoos all the time. And I do log in sometimes and they go, wow, that person did an amazing tattoo. Isn't that beautiful? And there's a little part of me that's like, gosh, I'd love to be able to do a tattoo like that. Mm. But I think if I was really immersed in it all the time, that would become overwhelming. And I would be confused because I wouldn't just be, I'm just doing my thing and it's not about what I see on Instagram. It's about what's inside me and what I, my relationship with the subject matter and with my clients and with my pencil and paper. And it becomes not about that and about, you know, all this other stuff that I'm seeing, all this other input. 
I know when I used to spend more time looking at other people's work, it kind of infected my brain when I tried to draw. It was like, mm. maybe you could take this opportunity to make that flower look more like one of those flowers that that other girl draws. Do you know what I mean? Like it just yeah. becomes this thing that you can't shake. It's no longer And the you. more I push all that mm. stuff away, the more I just draw what's inside me and I just draw what's natural and I don't worry about how it compares. To, and I know that other people can draw better than me, right? Like I know that there's... Oh. People out there, I know that's obviously very subjective. That's but I just a, that think, is a very subjective thing. It's they draw yes, different to you. Yes. And it's not better or worse. I think I just, I see stuff that is amazing, but now that's less interesting to me mm. because I'm more interested in people and I'm far more interested in a beautiful tattoo that a friend's done yeah. than a than a beautiful tattoo that a complete stranger You're far more interested in the story. Yeah, I just kind of feel like, yeah, it's beautiful, but lots of things are beautiful, you know? It's kind of like, Mm. whatever. I just don't find it enriching to look at art in that way, in in a feed, on Facebook, whatever. It's so much more exciting to meet a person that has a beautiful tattoo or to, Mm. you know, it just, yeah. And so I find I get bored of seeing amazing tattoos, no matter how amazing they are. I'm just like, you know, that's just not really... um, where I'm at, whereas when I was younger, God, if I had Instagram when I was yeah, I 19, know. because, I mean, I the I highlight so, yeah. of my week was buying my tattoo magazine. You know, yeah, I would right. buy a tattoo magazine every week, <laughs> and I just could not wait to crack that thing open. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just the absolute highlight, and even more so if it's a particularly good one. And I just, I would read that thing over and over and over and over, you know, and I've still got scrapbooks of articles I've cut out about artists I particularly admired, and yeah. I would just obsess over these pictures of amazing tattoos because that's where I was at. You know, I wanted to be a tattooist mm. and I was thinking about what kind of tattooist I would be and all the amazing possibilities there are. But I'm in a very different place now and I don't want yeah. my vision being contaminated by all no. the various things that are out there. I'm actually really happy pursuing what I do and yeah. doing it really. Because you are um, that artist now. You don't need that inspiration. Your inspiration comes from somewhere else. Your inspiration is going to come yeah. from the plant. Yeah, the, exactly. It comes from real life. It comes yeah. from come, – well, yeah, it comes from real life. I mean, even the magazine is real life, isn't it? But it's coming from a more natural place. It's coming yeah. from the essence. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like you're not yep. you're not generating skills anymore. You're just refining them. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. There is a period, you know, maybe the first 10 years that you're doing craft – of any sort, you're still generating skills. You're still finding out what it is this material can do and what you can do with it. And then mm. after that becomes, it's a much more personal challenge. Yeah, for sure. It's like, okay, I've got that stuff out of the way. I can do a solid tattoo. I know how to get clean lines, put the colour yep. in, deal with a client, deal with various problems along the way that might come up. Got all and that. now what's, what's the next level? Where can I yeah. take this? How can I make this more excellent? And that's mm. within you. It's not from anywhere else. It's not from a magazine. Yeah, for sure. No, I haven't bought a tattoo magazine in years. No, because <laughs> you're not going to get your inspiration from that. You're not going to get not technique. Not at all. They do nothing for it. me. It doesn't, you you yep. don't need it. The people that are coming up behind you do. You're going to be that artist that's in those magazines or the books probably. And <laughs> yeah. And so people are coming up behind you are going to buy those magazines and buy those books and go, oh, my God, Amy Claire Duncan, look at that. Oh, my God. <laughs> she so rocks. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I do think for sure when I – because when I think of there's a particular woman who does really amazing tattoos that I 
always enjoy seeing her work on Instagram when I do see it. When I think about what's amazing about her work is that it's just utterly, utterly unique. Mm. There is absolutely no way you're mistaking it for anybody else's. Mm. There's no way that you can see, you know, with so many tattooists, you can see, oh, that's a beautiful tattoo, but I can see kind of who yeah. you're influenced by or copying or or referencing or what books you've been reading or who apprenticed you. Or, do you know what I mean? There's just mm. there's evidence of how they got to where they're at. And with her work, it's just like... Who is this person? So we can all so have... So her a... Instagram handle is Hannah Flowers. She's got a lot of followers. She, she just does the most amazing tattoos. They're very painterly and very... They're always with these beautiful women and they all look like her. <laughs> but, which seems narcissistic, but they're very beautiful. But certainly they're just they're just very unique tattoos. She uses unusual color palettes. She uses incredible fine details. There's just... There's so many things about them. I can't think of anyone else's tattoos that look remotely like them. They just they seem really mm. unique. And I think that's the key, right, is they just wouldn't stand out if if they weren't, you know. I think the reason they stand out is just because they're just they scream at you, you've never seen this before. Are you this a is someone... personal friend of hers? No, no, I've never met her. And she's originally from Tasmania maybe, I think. Oh my God. So you could be she her. doesn't live there anymore. I <laughs> yeah, I totally could, but I haven't I don't know her at all, yeah. Hannah Flowers, if you're out there, give Amy, Amy a call because she... She won't do that. No, she she might. She might give you a call. She might give you an email. Maybe. I might get tattooed by her one day. I don't yeah. have a long list of people I'd like to get tattooed by, but yeah, I'd probably get something by her. I know some furniture makers that I, I'd aspire to. That'd have to be pretty amazing. Oh, look, thanks. Yeah, but like... <laughs> You think about who you aspire to and then think, well, yeah. actually, you know what? Everyone has got somebody that they aspire to. Of course, yeah. There's this dude, Patrick Hall, whose work, oh okay. my God. <laughs> it's nothing like what I do. And I, would, I don't yeah, aspire right. I was to, say, yeah. I don't aspire to do his work at all, but just the, yeah. the way he thinks about things, the way he sees the world and the way he articulates what he's trying to achieve. It just rocks my boat big time. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I totally get that because for a long time, I, I don't really follow his work anymore, but for a very, very long time, my favorite tattoo artist was this chap called Chris O'Donnell. And I got mm. to be tattooed by him in London when I was younger. And I spent all of my teenage years and early twenties staring at images of his work in magazines I had and stuff like that and just loving what he did. And everyone is so surprised to hear that because his work is nothing like mine at all. <laughs> it's not, not even, just not even, just nothing in common at all. Maybe mm. the thing that they have in common is that they have black outlines, you know. Mm. But, um, plenty of, yeah, it's nothing at all. But, yes, exactly. There's something about the essence of what he's doing that I appreciate. There's something about what mm. he does that is, he seems to have a commitment to the timelessness and the sort of classiness keeping it about the client and not making it about you. He's capable of any kind of amazing technical flourishes he might want to add, but he keeps the tattoos simple because mm. he doesn't he doesn't make them about him, you know. He makes the tattoos about the tattoo. Just make it a nice tattoo. Don't go overboard. Mm. Don't show off, you know. Don't make it needlessly flashy. Just do it and do it beautifully. How old is this dude? Not that much older than me. He'd be 10 years older than me maybe, I'd say. Maybe a little bit more. Mm. I'd say he'd be in his 40s. And so he does mostly Japanese, so it's not what I do and it's not what I want to do. But I just mm. think so many tattooists 
are full of ego and they're full of desire to be seen. Everything is designed to stand out on Instagram or to be, they want to have a gimmick that makes them the guy that does those tattoos that everybody's seen. And he just does beautiful tattoos and he keeps it humble and keeps it simple. And there's just something about his approach that I learned a lot from and that I really wanted to emulate in terms of not making the tattoos about me. Let's leave our egos behind. Mm. Let's make fucking awesome work and keep it with that. Let's Mm. just be excellent and not how excellent you might be seen to be. Yeah, well, I think sometimes I wonder how much the art world has contaminated the craft world to some extent where people want what they make to be about them and to not be about the thing itself, you know, because I think when you look at most great art, Sistine Chapel or whatever, that wasn't an ego project. These were jobs people got paid to do and they got paid to do them well. Mm. And I think we now we, we now have some weird ideas about that being lesser than someone expressing themselves and being, I don't know, being their fabulous individual self or something. And it's like, no, I actually think... You know, there's something about pairing back all the personal, you know, I think there's a difference between following your sort of path and doing what's being true to yourself and making the art that you're sort of destined to make Mm. and being egotistical, you know, I think they're very different things. And I think a lot of people now, they want a name, they want, they want to have a reputation and a sort of a style, a signature style or whatever. And whether they're making objects or whether they're making art, the self is kind of all important. And I think everybody makes what they make better if they're not the focus of it, if they make the object itself the focus and just making that as beautiful as it can be or as functional as it can be, and they stop trying to get attention for it. <laughs> you know, that's when you that's when you make the good work. And mm. I hate that that modern approach to art the, the idea that expression is the is the center of it all. I've, I've never, ever felt that way about art. I've never, ever wanted to express myself through art. I've been obsessed with making art since I was a kid, and I've never once felt like I needed to express myself through it. You know what I mean? It's always yep, been something totally I've, been, I've wanted to make for other reasons. It's just never been about that. And I, I went to art school very briefly when I was about 19, 20, mm. just after I made sure I went to – actually, maybe it was even just before I married Sean – I did about 10 weeks of a fine art degree and I just went mad. I couldn't stand being there because it was all conceptual. It was just unbearable for me to be in that environment and to be told that the concept was everything. Mm. And I got chastised for wanting to do mere realism. <laughs> so all I tried to draw skills. The, the pairs in the still life. I tried to make them look like pairs. And maybe <laughs> that was the wrong thing to do. They were called, loosen up. Loosen up and express yourself. And I was like, Hold out your wrist. Oh, yeah, I just pretty much just had to walk out of there. Just yeah, go, oh, I can't do this. It's not your space. No. No. And so, yeah, I feel very grateful to have found a space where I don't have to be like that. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that making craft, time can disappear. When, you, when you're yeah. doing something that you like doing and you're challenged but not too challenged, like you've got some skills, mm. you're learning new things but it's all under control. Time can just disappear and that's the feeling mm. that I think making craft, I don't want to use the word ecstatic because it's not. It's mm. just... No, yeah, it's, I know what you mean though. You know what I mean. You know what Absolutely. I mean. It's not yep. an ecstatic feeling but it's like, oh my God, it's five o'clock. Where did that time go? 
And mm. I've I've had borderline ecstatic experiences, I would say, making art, where there is a an elevated, there's a definite shift in your sort of consciousness or the way that you feel, mm. and you do almost feel like you're floating or something. There's like a weird. And you get that when you're doing something with your hands. Mm. You don't get it when you're doing something with your mind. Maybe somebody can. If anyone out there has, let me know. Yeah, I do. But I think you do <laughs> need to be doing something with your hands. Like I know a lot of musicians do it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. People that make art with music. I suppose if you're writing, no, you're still doing something with your hands. I'd... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think so, that there is a sort of a weird – well, there's that book as well that I've never read, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I love that idea that, you know, you can compare making art to maintaining a motorcycle because I do, I, I think people can be pretentious about art and think that it's mm. on some level above that, but it's not, you know. How can people get in touch with you, Amy? The best way is through my website, which is just amycduncan.com, and that has links to my small collection of social media accounts that I <laughs> mostly don't maintain. <laughs> You put something up today. I think you put something up today. Yeah, I did actually. I think I might have even posted twice in the last month, which is oh my God. I'm on a roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't post all that much, but I post to Instagram and then that gets posted to Facebook. So I've only got two really active accounts and they're both the same. Picky poison. The the website is how you sign up for my mailing list, which is how you go on the on the on the list to get tattooed and that's where you can see larger, nicer quality photos than you'll see on Instagram. And there's heaps of them there yeah. too. Like if if you see something you like, there's more there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've got my, you know, I've got my botanical illustrations up there, and a bunch of paintings I did for a long time ago. Haven't had many opportunities to paint since the kids came along, so there's not much no. new in the in the way of the painting galleries. But but yeah, there's there's a variety of my work on there. And are you going to tattoo your kids? Like at, at <laughs> what age? At what age are they going to be when you pull them out and say? Come down oh, to the studio. Not until they're thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully really? never. I don't. I don't know. They're perfect the way they are. Yeah, God. They're not all damaged and. I had issues. Existential angst. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I just look. It's hard to imagine when they're so little. They're two and five, but I mean, I just think I, I certainly wouldn't say that I hope to ever tattoo them. I would say if they're people who are happy existing in their lives without tattoos, I'm not going to encourage them. Mm. I'll I'll be there if they want them. They'll probably go somewhere else, you know. Probably, and you know, it's funny because once you know, for a long time, I've, I've met parents in ta- you know who are getting tattoos who are like, oh, I never want my kids to get tattooed. <laughs> And I think you bloody hypocrite, you know. But now that I'm a parent, I guess because <laughs> you do just think they're perfect. You're like, yeah, you like, we can't touch that pristine skin I made. <laughs> oh man, it's such tattooing is such an interesting subject. It's weird, I know. Yeah, it is, and it's look. I totally. Mm. It's impossible to comment when they're so little because mm. they're not adults, and so you know the whole thing just seems scary because they're they're so little and innocent and perfect, but. Obviously, I would never forbid my children from getting tattoos or, or even discourage them if they really wanted to. They'll, they'll def- definitely just be... Uh, I reckon they'll be clean even, skins. I think they'll be... I won't be at all surprised, you know. I won't yeah. be surprised because I think um, 
there's not going to be anything rebellious about tattoos in our family, right? No it's going to be old hat. Yeah, it'll be rebellious not to be tattooed. You know what you need to do is say you can't get tattooed, and then they will. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should encourage them, and that'll scare them off the idea forever. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Just... Well, see, it depends how functional my relationship with my children is by the time they're teenagers. Hope we'll see. I think we'll be good. You have been listening to The Designer Maker Revolution. Thank you for listening and get in touch with me, make at designermakerrevolution.com. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time. Bye.